CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Thursday, July 11th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, in these times, writer Miles Kompflassen returns. We welcome back union man of the Chicago Federation of Labor, the one, the only Jake Lewis, and political operative Ishmael Cuevas. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Gator Got You Granny Thursday. (laughs) And here's why. Yep, everybody with unspeakable horrors everywhere in the world. I need a break, and we got a break right here in Chicago that we call Gator Gate. Yes, indeed, Gator Gate. There's an alligator four to five feet long, loose in the Humble Park Lagoon. Everybody's talking about it. It's in the news. They got reporters staked out. Uh, breaking news, Gator has been seen. There's photos in the paper. In fact, there was a picture today. It was on the front page of both papers, the bright one. Uh, and my wife saw the picture. She goes, oh, my God, is the alligator going to eat the duck? Because there's a picture of the duck. and I, I, I think the duck survived. Thank God. And it's on the front page of the Tribune. And now we're going to have a showdown. Yes. Which headline is better? Headline wars. <laughs> As they tackle the all-important news, Gator Gate in Humble Park. All right, here you go, D. Number one from the tri- Chicago Tribune. Catch you later, Gator. Catch you later, Gator. I like catch you later, Gator. But then they kind of, they add this thing. Oh, we're the Tribune, so we have to explain things. Hunt in the humble park goes on. All right, but catch you later, Gator. Catch you later, Gator's pretty good. My beloved bright one, home delivered every day. Actually, the Tribune is home delivered, too. All right, Tribune, I support you. What's the Sun-Times headline? A Vader Gator. A Vader Gator? Catch you later, Gator. Young Dennis. I'm going with the uh, the Tribune on this one. Catch you later, Gator is better than Evader Gator. I just R- felt like they're trying to rhyme that on that one. Romano, I'm just saying, got to work up, get it. Some push-ups in that headline room. <laughs> anyway, that's sometimes the Tribune web. Sometimes sent our good friend Mark Brown over there. Okay, the guy usually covers politics. Some editor said, "Hey, Brown, get over to Humboldt Park." Yes, boss. <laughs> <laughs> Got, got in his car, vroom, drove out to Humboldt Park. Let me tell you something, folks. If you're in the journalism business, sooner or later, they're going to send you out to do uh, some kind of wild animal story. My first job many years ago, Young D, before you were born. Ah, uh, yes. I was working for a newspaper in Connecticut in the good old days, and there was some kind of wild animal loose in Vernon, Connecticut. Cool. I can't I can't remember what it was. I go, hey, kid, go cover it. Because it's like, the, oh, boy, got in the car, <laughs> drove out. I can't remember. It was a cow or a Bobcat? A ki- Could have been a bobcat. I just can't remember what it was. It was definitely not a giraffe. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I hope not. So I'd have to go knock on doors. 
uh, excuse me, sir. My name is Ben. I'm from the journal. And uh, have you seen the wild cow in the street lately? Get off my porch, sonny. Anyway, that's being a reporter. That's what it's all about. Mark Brown did a pretty good job. Pretty funny stuff. He got some good quotes uh, from his coverage of, let's see, lost. Ah, here we go. Some great Mark Brown quotes. Uh, Some gathered at the boathouse on the South Island Lagoon where the alligator was originally spotted. Others congregated at the North End where it was observed early Wednesday. Everyone asked the same question. Have you seen it? But only a precious few could answer in the affirmative. Nope, sorry. And the big character, of course, the big unanswered question in Gatorgate D is who is Alligator Bob? All right, so there's this guy named Alligator Bob who apparently is some kind of volunteer and he's been given the authority by the park district to go out and catch the gator. But here's the thing. He'll only say his name is Alligator Bob. When you ask him, what is your name? Alligator Bob. So, you know, reporters, man, when they send you out, that's not good enough. Some editor's going to go, uh, that does not work. We need a name. First name Al? <laughs> Middle name a Gator. Uh, no, last name Bob. That's what I said yesterday. I go, his first, obviously his first name is Alligator and his last name is Bob. Mr. Bob, okay? So they're all like uh, trying to find out from Alligator Bob what his real name is. Oh, sir, what is your, every single story goes out. I don't want to know how Alligator Bob really sounds. I just want him to sound like I, how he sounds in my head. And how does Oh, hell, man, this gator. (laughs) This gator's a slippery feller. I almost had him. Gator Bob. Gator done, buddy. Uh, We're going to get Gator Bob on the show, and and we're going to ask him the hard questions. This reminds me of... He's got to get the gator. We can't get him on the show. (laughs) He's got a gator to catch. (laughs) He can't take a break, man. You can't be chasing a gator all day. I'm almost this close, man. And someone came and scared it. Oh, slippery feller. Uh, And so, Alligator Bob, we're going to set him down here. You know, this reminds me uh, during the primary... No, the the gubernatorial campaign, reporters everywhere were demanding that J.B. Pritzker release his income tax rates. Remember those? Uh, Don't, you cannot let an interview with Pritzker go by without asking him what rates. And Pritzker made it clear he wasn't going to tell you the rates. Reporters were trying every which way. Uh, you know, it would be really helpful if for voters to make up their minds about who to vote for if they knew the rates. Pritzker's looking at him, man, I'm not telling you those rates. I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday, sonny boy. All right, and Gator Bob is cut from the uh, J.B. Pritzker cloth. The reporters are all coming up nice. Hi, Alligator Bob. Nice to meet you today. Give him a little candy. And what is your name? I'm not telling you. By the way, Pritzker weighed in. You see that? No, Lightfoot weighed in as well. We got an update. You read Pritzker and I'll read Lightfoot. All right, here we go. And the Tribune. Got to give the Tribune credit. By the way, the Tribune sent two reporters to cover this thing. Oh, man. (laughs) Slow news day, baby. Brown. Slow news day. Hey, man. Mark Brown scooped it with one. They had two reporters covering this. Gator Gate. Oh, figure your newspaper out. Good, good. Can you ever try doing that on a train? All the millennials are looking like, oh, my God. God, he's got a newspaper. Anyway, here's what uh, J.B. Pritzker comes in. Um, he was asked about it, and he said, I am not going to be swimming in the Humboldt Park Lagoon. That's all I can oh. say. <laughs> oh, J.B. Okay. I'm not going in there. <laughs> anyway, I think we'll all agree with what Mark Brown has to say to close his column. There's worse things to occupy our attention than an alligator running loose in the city. 
We got a great show today, everybody. We're going to take the deep dive on a lot of important issues other than Gatorade. I'm not a perfect person. Uh, J.B. Pritzker. All right. Miles Kompflassen will be here from In These Times, intrepid journalist. I'll be asking him Gatorgate questions. No, we'll be talking national politics uh, and local politics with Miles Kompflassen. Uh, Jake Lewis will be here from the Chicago Federation of Labor. You know, with all the talk of uh, Alex Acosta, the head of the Labor Department, who somehow or other was, before that, he was the uh, prosecutor, the federal prosecutor in Florida, who had thought it was a good idea to slap uh, Jeffrey Epstein on the wrist, Whoop, little slap on the wrist for trafficking, for abusing, raping girls who were like 14 years old. Somehow or other, he thought that was a good idea. They'll throw anybody in jail for smoking a joint, but this guy, because he's got gazillions of dollars and hangs out with Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, somehow or other can just emerge with a slap on the on the little wrist we'll be talking about the labor department why is he running the labor department jake lewis will be here at two o'clock and ishmael cabez better known as ish will be here alligator ish alligator he's gonna give us alligator updates uh he's gonna be talking about a lot of things including the soccer federation uh he's a he, he was in he was our correspondent in france covering uh the soccer uh the world championship last week how about that d you didn't know we had a correspondent in france covering that huh yeah sports correspondent we had a good, that's what we need yeah, that, <laughs> uh, and we'll be talking about local politics as well with the great ish so plenty of political uh discussion ahead and uh, before we do any of that, the doctor with the news. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. It's the middle of the day. And like we typically do at this time, let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Hey, here's something new. Today, the White House will hold the very first social media summit. Oh, yeah. Ben, you excited about that? Uh, yeah. Is uh, Instagram invited? What? Is Instagram invited? Uh, no, Instagram is not invited. Here's the tweet from the president. Cue the ukulele. <laughs> The White House will be hosting a very big and very important social media summit today. Would I have become president without social media? Nope. Yes. And in parentheses, <laughs> no, nope. probably. Nope. You wouldn't have become president hey, without talking. Putin. It's the president. Oh, sorry, Donnie. At its conclusion, we will all go to the beautiful Rose Garden oh, for a news conference on the census and citizenship. Wait, I don't understand. So what is a social media summit? What's a social media summit, you may yeah, be asking? I just did, yeah. Who cares? Well, none of us really do care, but it seems to be a gathering of upset right-wing social media figures uh, well, who have been banned go. from social media platforms. And just like every other event our current White House creates, it will end with a Donald Trump Wait, speech. time out. Alex Jones will be there? Uh, I don't know if Alex Jones. Oh, even Donnie Trump won't invite Alex Jones. They did not invite me. We have the documents. They did not invite me. Yeah, no. I, I, you know, everybody knows I'm not uh, really into Twitter. We have a Twitter account here, but uh, I very rarely look at it. Uh, okay, can you I, like keep the illusion alive, please? He looks at it every day. <laughs> I'm not really in the social media, folks. Let me. I love Instagram. I always put little pictures. I just put a picture of myself in a in a Corvette of my friend uh, brother Ed. Hey, brother Ed, uh, his Corvette. But uh, I'm not really into uh, social media. But I did notice this story in the paper uh, today, D. I don't know if you saw this. I don't even know if this is part of your update. Oops. Because, you know, for our pre-show prep, we usually go over what D's going to say. you talking about Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, Please don't. Oh, okay, Please sorry. don't. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but uh, there's a story that uh, both Donald Trump uh, and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez have attempted to block people from, well, they have blocked people, not attempted. They've blocked people from their Twitter account. They don't want to see the nasty little responses that these people have uh, to their tweets and uh 
different people have gone to court in, uh, in, uh, against Trump and Ocasio-Cortez, and they've won the right. Uh, the, the, the judges are ruling that um, there is, I guess, a First Amendment-protected access to uh, all Twitter accounts. How about that? So if Trump is going to use Twitter to get elected uh, president, and if Trump is going to use Twitter to make pronouncements threatening countries all over the world and people all over the world and denouncing other people, then he is using it for uh, as a public official for his public advantage, his political advantage, and uh, he has to allow everybody access to it. So I think that was a good ruling. And Ocasio-Cortez, the same way, she was trying to block people from going on her tr- Twitter account because he's obnoxious right wing were assaulting, assaulting and assailing her you know, verbally, I should say, and she lost that too. So I, I was, I thought that's what they were going to be discussing, but it turns out it's going to be a bunch of uh, racists and bigots who uh, feel somehow or other victimized because people get mad and upset at them and call them out when they yeah. spew race. Okay, basically. Yeah. All right, there you go. That's why I wonder why did Alex Jones wasn't involved. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the documents. <laughs> There's fluoride in the water. That's we'll a, be right back. Uh, right now, get your. Water filtration <laughs> system from InfoWars. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. By the way, other tweets today from our president feature comments saying he's a stable genius again. Great looking. And he said he would, quote, ultimately leave office in six years or maybe 10 or 14 and added that uh, he's just kidding. Oh, yeah. Okay. Did he really say he was stable and good looking? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was probably kidding about that, too. But people don't be fooled. Donald Trump does have serious issues to tend to this afternoon. <laughs> After a loss in court, President Trump is expected to announce executive action on a, on the U.S. Census. Remember, his administration attempted to add a question about citizenship yeah. about a month back. Yeah. In other news nationally, House Judiciary Committee Democrats have just subpoenaed a dozen more witnesses involved in the Mueller investigation and Trump's immigration policies. Among the high-profile names on the list are his son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, former Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, reader of the Mueller report, front-to-back Ben Jarofsky... <laughs> Just kidding. He's not. (laughs) Hold on. Oh, yeah. He's got the Mueller report, guys. Okay. Grab it. (laughs) Other people talk about it. I got it right here. Downloaders. He's holding the Mueller report right now. Former White House Chief of Staff John F. Kelly and former Trump campaign manager and no one's favorite, Corey Lewandowski. Oh, God. What a nasty guy he is, huh? Good (laughs) God. So these are all the people. uh, See, here's the deal with Trump, everybody. He's just going to ignore these subpoenas and force the Dems to go to court uh, and then ultimately force the Dems to impeach him. It's his uh, notion. I guess it's backed up by the pollsters that the White House employs that you, the people of the United States, you, the voters of the United States, will be angrier at Democrats in Congress for impeaching him than you'll be at him for violating the law and refusing to uh, acknowledge or abide by their subpoenas. So it again, it's in the court of public opinion. He's such a low estimate estimation of the public's intelligence. We talked about this yesterday with his environmental program, his environmental speech. We figured he'd just give one little speech about the environment. Well, the sun is out today. There you go. That's an environmental speech. And that will win over uh, swing voters throughout Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. He has a very low opinion of American voters. Wait, the sun is out today? <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful day. Oh my God, it worked. Yeah, I rode my bike. Moving on, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi held her weekly press conference today. Two big takeaways. First, on Sunday, the Trump administration and the Immigration and Customs Enforcement will begin their effort to crack down on illegal immigration. Pelosi said uh, she has hope that the president will change his mind. Uh, It's about values that the president does not seem to share. And we saw this morning when he announced his heartless raids on families 
this coming Sunday. When he announced this before, I called, God bless you, on Sunday. This is the Hispanic uh, evangelicals. On Sunday, west of the Mississippi, our people are in church. And as they prepare to go to church, they feel very threatened and scared um, by these raids. So hopefully the president will think again about it or these groups will weigh in uh, once again. Families belong together. Every person in America has rights. I agree with Nancy Pelosi 100%. And if you notice, just her, by the way, the, the, who was the guy sneezing? I don't know. Uh, but this, she, you know, breaks in. Ex, excuse, what did she say? How am I supposed to know who the guy sneezing was? <laughs> well, you're the guy with the updates. Oh, it was actually uh, Bert Beckenrack. <laughs> Do you? You obviously have never dealt with an editor. An editor would know. Uh, Dennis, question: uh, Who I sneezed? Uh, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, someone you can't say someone sneezed. What's his name? The other thing they always ask you is the age. That's the other thing. Got to know the age. And sometimes, like People Magazine, I used to string for them. They go, uh, I'd say, so how old is Doctor D? Well, Doctor D is thirty. Uh, when's his birthday? Oh, I don't know. Why you care? Because I'll now explain. One hundred and one of journalism. All young journalists take notes because he may be thirty today. 35. You, oh, well, okay. I'm just saying, like... I know. I just don't want the listeners to think I'm... Okay. So he may be 35 today, but if his birthday is next week, by the time you read the article, he'll be 36. How about that? That's called journalism, <laughs> D. Yeah. All right? Anyway, where was I? Oh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you love her. We had, I, well, you know, I, I, I was a little disappointed with some of her comments uh, regarding uh, the, the big four, the squad, as we call them, uh, yeah. the, the feud that she's having with uh, the lefties, uh, uh, con- Congresswomen, uh, Omar and um, Talib Presley and uh, Ocasio-Cortez. We talked a lot about that yesterday with Samina. Boy, she was hard on Nancy Pelosi. But uh, I think Nancy Pelosi, by and large, has done a very good job leading the Democrats in a very tough time with uh, dealing with Donald Trump. So I stand by that. I'm not going to throw her under the bus because of some comments that she made uh, to Maureen Dowd. Isn't there anybody who can like work some kind of peace accord? You know what I'm saying? In every family, there's a person whose job it is, every functional family, to, to make peace. You know that, D? Like, everybody's fighting. Like, the dad's fighting with the, the, the daughter, and there's, like, a younger sibling who can work it. There's got to be somebody who could fill that role. All right, I'll do it. Okay. Get over there. Anyway, and, I like Nancy Pelosi. And finally, we can't end a national news segment these days without a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate update. Massachusetts Senator and 2020 POTUS hopeful Elizabeth, I got a plan for that, Warren, <laughs> has a new presidential plan. Oh, I missed this. Yeah, this What's one this? is on immigration. Here's more mm-hmm. details from the Associated Press. Warren's plan includes the remodeling of immigration enforcement agencies from top to bottom and new limits on the detention of migrants who enter the country. The new platform was released Thursday ahead of Warren's appearance alongside four Democratic presidential rivals at a forum hosted by the League of United Latin American Citizens. Warren would also dent the Trump administration's detention practices by creating, quote, a Justice Department task force to investigate accusations of serious violations in facilities that house migrants, giving that effort independent authority to pursue any substantiated criminal allegations. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I have to read. I'm going to go read her plan. But there's two issues here, folks, uh, when it comes to immigration. The first issue is what are we doing and how are we treating the people who are in detention centers uh, throughout mainly the southern part of the southern states, including the one in Florida. Uh, and then there's the larger issue of uh, how are we going to treat other people who come in uh, illegally and are we going to criminalize uh make them criminals and force them uh well that's why they're in detention centers because they're being treated like criminals and the democratic party of course is going to have to decide what what its app uh, its position is going to be or they may pull a duck and dodge like uh, pritzker and just sort of avoid <laughs> the details uh i personally this is me speaking for myself i'm not running for president if i were i probably wouldn't make the ballot i do not understand i think this is one of the most hyped up issues of our time donald trump and the right have done a, a very a good job politically speaking from their for the sakes of their political careers for creating uh, an issue out of nothing in my humble opinion i would say that most cities would more than welcome most country, states would more than welcome the people who come to this country uh from the 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 country south of us and just look in the city of chicago by and large overwhelming majority are good neighbors and they've distorted like every single crime that an immigrant commits is turned into like this giant indictment of all immigrants as though they're all committing crimes it's really unfair and it's it's uh, prejudice uh, and it's dirty politics and the Democrats really don't know how to respond D. they're afraid to come out and come out strong uh, for uh, against criminalizing uh, illegal immigrants because uh, they're feared that again they'll be viewed as weak on crime and uh, so you know Trump's got them in a bit of a box and for those potential 2020 Democratic voters screaming hey Joe Biden take a hint drop out of the race dude <laughs> oh, come on I guess the old man has a hard time hearing these days because he is not dropping out of the race. Here's proof. We have the latest Biden campaign ad or video. I'm not sure if it's television or online. I'm assuming online. Ahead of a speech on foreign policy, former vice president and Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, a.k.a. Grandpa Joe, (laughs) has released a video condemning President Trump's America first diplomacy. Here's the video. It's titled The Trump Doctrine. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. (laughs) Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. Siding with an American adversary over his own intelligence experts. There was no collusion. President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. If he says great things about me, I'm going to say great things about him. And then we fell in love. Okay. I got along with him great. We have a great chemistry together. The murder of Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. The king firmly denied any knowledge of it. Overnight, President Trump unleashing a Twitter tirade, tweeting in all capital letters, you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. The United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. Tehran confirmed it would begin enriching uranium above agreed-upon limits. Reaction across this country and the world to President Trump's decision to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord. In a joint statement, Italy, France, and Germany sharply criticized President Trump. I think this is a disastrous decision. China has total respect for Donald Trump's very, very large brain. For months, American <laughs> farmers have felt the fallout of President Trump's trade war with China. Farmers are the ones that are taking it on the job. He delivered what a veteran U.S. diplomat called the single most embarrassing performance he's ever seen on the world stage. 
uh, that violin at the end gets me. I, listen, I find it very persuasive, but uh, as many of the guests who come in here, they always tell, what do they always tell me? Ben, you live in Chicago. You live in the bubble. You don't understand people outside of the bubble. They're not as turned off by Donald Trump as you are. So I'm going to, I think we should play that that uh, commercial for many of our guests, get their thoughts, D, as the days go on. We have a couple of, uh, Heidi Henry will be here tomorrow. Let's see what she thinks about it. Doris Davenport will be here tomorrow. We'll see what she thinks about it. Uh, see what uh, Miles or uh, Ish think about it. Uh, but I personally believe that the the glue that binds the Democrats together is they really cannot stand Donald Trump. I know it's obvious, but Democrats seem to forget that. They was like, well, what's your position on this? And what's your position on that? To quote Marianne Williamson, it plans don't, it's not what got Donald Trump elected in the first place. That's a bad paraphrase of what she said so uh i don't think i think that strategically i i i think it's a good idea for joe biden to accentuate how bad uh donald trump is as president of the united states now of course we'll keep you posted on these national stories as today's program rolls along because we are moving on people we're about to find out what's going on locally it's time for what else's news alderman ed burke my god you're greasy more on that in a moment but first we have a gator gate update the first update, <laughs> yes. That alligator's still in the lagoon in Humboldt Park. Do we know ah! the name of Alligator Bob yet? No last uh, name on Alligator Bob. Mm. We still don't know what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. So to us, he still sounds like this. Oh, boy, that gator, man. <laughs> Greasy little fella. I almost grabbed him. He slipped right out of my hands. Man, then I went to Arby's. Next thing I know, I saw him. Anyway, <laughs> You saw the gator at Arby's? No, he got to pay. Uh, anyway. All right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so All right. No, the uh, alligator uh, gator gate update. Mayor Lightfoot has oh, weighed in. Wow. And Ben, you know, I think she may be listening to the Ben Jarofsky show okay. because here's the quote from Mayor Lightfoot. Yeah. I'm following Gatorgate. <laughs> she did not say yeah, Gatorgate. She called it Gatorgate. She says it's always been an urban myth that there's... Al- You're upset right now. Hey, that's my line. <laughs> she says it's always an urban myth that there's alligators here, there, climbing out of toilets and things like that. When I saw uh, when I saw what I think is in the real picture, I was pretty surprised. <laughs> Did she call it Gatorgate? She called it Gatorgate. I, I can't get over that. Where'd you find... Is that the latest breaking news from the Sun-Times? Latest breaking news from the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh my God, there's a picture of the gator. Look at that thing. Is it, is it with the duck? The picture? Yeah, the, the picture with the duck. They're hanging out. They're buddies. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. The, you know, by the way, yesterday, remember, we uh, Michael was on the uh, the show, Utrecht uh, from uh, Jacobin Magazine, and a very shrewd political observer. He's utterly obsessed with the gator. He had actually gone down to Humble Park. to be, He's one of the guys standing around looking at the gator. And uh, so yesterday, I was perplexed all day long. Remember this day? I go, how did the gator get in there? And then uh, Michael was like, well, duh, obviously <laughs> someone put him in there. And remember that moment? I'm like, oh, never thought of that. But you know what? If you guys have been watching Stranger Things, like oh, I've been watching Stranger Things, there's all kinds of weird stuff coming up from the sewers and stuff. Alligator so. Bob looks cool. I see a picture of him right now. I'd hang out with him. All right. Right. Here's a quote from Lightfoot. Uh, Lightfoot says, people have exotic tastes in pets, oh. and then the pets get big, and then... And they lose interest. So I think the larger conversation that we have to have is about people being realistic about the kind of pets that they can bring into their home. Yeah, well, okay, so she obviously subscribes to the Micah theory that the uh, gator was put in there by somebody who got sick of having a ga- alligator as a pet, <laughs> as opposed to the Ben theory. Oh, yeah. It's from Stranger Things. There's these monsters under the... 
the earth that are scaring us. Have you seen? You haven't seen Stranger Things, the monster. No. It's, oh my god, it's so scary. Like I said, anytime I watch it, it's just a bunch of kids on their bike hanging out in the anyway, front yard. Anyway, but you know what? Uh, that's what a mayor does, ladies and gentlemen. You got this bizarre summer story that's uh, captivating our interest. That's giving us a little diversion, uh, a distraction from all the all the unspeakable horrors that are existing everywhere. And she, it's like eating your vegetables. She turns into the right thing to do, and that is do not take your alligators and put them in lagoons. Hmm, okay. You can't argue with that point, right, D? I don't know. Where else are you going to put it? Pretty smart on that person. But anyway. Don't uh, get an alligator <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, now we have to talk about the latest update uh, involving perhaps the greasiest Chicago alderman mm. to ever live, wow. 14th Ward Alderman Ed Burke. It's time for a Burke alert. <laughs> Let's play the intro. Burke alert. <laughs> this Burke alert is brought to you by the 14th Ward Burger King. Home of the original chicken sandwich <laughs> and the original Chicago shakedown. All right. That's really good. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, Ben, before we take the deep dive here, let's catch up uh, with those who may not know. Mm-hmm. Tell us what we know so far about Alderman Ed Burke. All right. Here's what you need to know about Alderman Ed Burke. He's been around forever. He's been around for even longer than I am, uh, have been. He is uh, what used to be the most powerful alderman in the Chicago City Council. Follow me in this, folks. He was a chairman of the Finance Committee. As chairman of the Finance Committee, he oversaw the approval of every single contract and TIF deal, hundreds of millions of dollars of businesses he oversaw. So every lawyer, every architect, every planner in the city of Chicago wanted his deal approved, had a cozy up to Ed Burke. That's a lot of power. The people in the city of Chicago somehow or other lived with that for years and years and years. Mayor Daley in the 90s reappointed Ed Burke as chairman of the finance committee. Uh, Rahm Emanuel talked about unseating Burke, but as soon as he got in he cut his deal with Burke. Why? It's easier to cut your deal with the devil, so to speak, than to stand up to the devil and take an actual stand. So in addition to being this all-powerful chairman of the finance committee, Ed Burke also had a property tax business. Now you're asking yourself, what city in its right mind would allow an alderman who controls every single contract every single TIF deal or who oversees the flow of that, what city in its right mind would allow that alderman to have a property tax business in which many of the people who have to go to the city to get approval for whatever deals they want, for whatever handouts they want, need or could hire him to get their property taxes reduced? Well, I'll tell you what city that is, D. The city of Chicago. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yes, you, the people of the city of Chicago, have tolerated this for a long time. People, stop blaming other people for what you <laughs> allow the, these rascals to all get right, away all right, with. All right. As you hey. describe it, you got carried away. Go oh, ahead, get going. oh man, I'm fired up, man. You want to talk about that gator in the Humboldt Park Lagoon? Please don't. don't. <laughs> okay, I'm getting scared. Let's divert ourselves. I remember I said we're diverting ourselves from the unspeakable horrors which we deal with every day. This is not even one of the top. I would say the corruption in Chicago, I would not put it in the top 100 of unspeakable horrors, but it's pretty sleazy and slimy. Anyway, that is Alderman <laughs> Ed Burke. That's who he is. And he also, by the way, folks, one more thing you should know about Alderman Ed Burke. He probably has as much to do with anybody with who gets slated as judges. And then Gator. <laughs> Got nothing to do with oh. the Gator. 
right. I'm just warming up. Ooh, man. All right. He's on fire. Okay. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, mm-hmm. the one and only friend, the woe man Spielman, okay. Tim Novak, and John Seidel. All right. Indicted Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th Ward had a series of so-called burner cell phones, mm-hmm. at least one of which was bought by an underling who paid cash for the device months before the federal raid on Burke's Ward and City Hall offices. Federal authorities only learned about that phone recently. Sources familiar with the investigation said its existence raises the possibility that the alderman may have been alerted to or was suspicious of the investigation that led to the criminal case that was filed against him earlier this year. But what the feds did not know, at least until recently, was that Burke had at least one other pay-as-you-go burner phone that he Uh, asked the underling to buy for him last summer. There was no wiretap on that phone and no city record Mm. of the cash purchase, sources said. That phone was among a series of Burke burner phones normally purchased by customers who don't want to pay a monthly bill. Burke, who has denied any wrongdoing, could not be reached for comment. His criminal defense attorney, Chuck Sklarsky, refused to comment as well. So did the U.S. Attorney's Office. But the Sun-Times wasn't giving up. The, they, uh, the Sun-Times <laughs> is not identifying the longtime Burke employee yeah. who purchased the burner phone I last summer that, yeah. because that person has not been charged with any wrongdoing. But they did speak with him. And now my favorite part of this entire story. <laughs> yes, I love this part, too. Contacted Wednesday. <laughs> the employee refused to discuss the burner phone and hung up on a reporter. This employee is no dummy. All right. Uh, here's the quote from this dude before hanging the phone up. Quote. I don't have any comment about this. I'm going to have to go now. I'm on the clock. <laughs> I'm an employee. I'm on the clock. I'm on the clock. Uh, yeah. I just hate to break it to you, employees on the clock. You have bigger problems than uh, whether or not you're talking about uh, answering a reporter's question while you're on the clock. I'm really, by the way, I'm happy that he's looking out for the taxpayers of the city of Chicago because I'm sure whatever else his duties are as uh, what is some kind of aid to Ed Burke, they're far more important. Then talking to an inquiring reporter uh, asking about buying burner phones. So, yeah, I can't talk. I'm on the clock. Oh, shout out to Johnny Joe. He's on the uh, YouTube live stream. He's on fire today. He says, maybe the Gator has a burner phone. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Burger King, future home of the Gator Burger. Yeah, that's actually that's actually pretty bad. It reminds me, by the way, that that phone call, uh, the way he dealt with the, the, the inquiring reporter. I was once trying to track down a state rep named Derek Smith, I believe his name was. Uh, and he was under indictment or investigation for some wrongdoing. And somebody gave me his number. I called him up. He answered the phone. I go, uh, yeah, hey, Derek, it's Ben Jarofsky from the Chicago Reader. And he goes, oh, 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 oh. He, he was probably thinking, how'd you get my number? And then he was like, uh, I'll tell you what, I got to go right now, but I'll call you right back. That phone conversation took place, I believe, in 2010. Still waiting for that call back, all right? <laughs> hey, come on, Derek. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, you, did you put the gator in the lagoon? <laughs> All right. Apparently, the employee is a technology whiz who is involved with Burke's iron-fisted oversight over Chicago's $100 million a year workers' compensation program Mm. before it was transferred from the Finance Committee to the city's Department of Finance after Burke was charged. And there it was. A Burke alert. Yeah. <laughs> Burke alert. All right. Well, we have uh, Miles Conflassen in the studio from uh, In These Times. He knows national politics and local politics. I'll probably ask him what he thinks Burke was talking about on that burner phone when we return. Now you know what's going on locally. <laughs> now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Hey there, producer Dennis here. 
Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. We just learned that they sold Gatorgate t-shirts, but before we go any further, our friends and co-hosts at the Sun-Times are offering you, yeah, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like the Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can test out digital access for only one dollar seriously one dollar my broke self can afford that there's no reason to not give it a shot okay stay up to date on breaking stories get the deep dives and investigations from sometimes reporters cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside city hall with the best in-class political reporting one dollar one dollar i said for your first month you can't do better than that. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. Uh, as I said, Miles Kampflassen from In These Times is with us. And I had a whole list of things I want to talk to Miles about. We worked it out, the Bernie enemy list, uh, Jeffrey Epstein updates, how sleazy he is. Would we be better off had George Bush won in 92? I had all these uh, questions uh, for Miles. But now that he's here in the studio, I got to, uh, first of all, ask you, what do you think Ed Burke was talking about? on that burner phone uh, that the Sun-Times unearthed. What do you think he was up to on that burner phone? Well, clearly this is, you know, he was, uh, uh, he knew what was up. If he had burners, he was, he was onto the whole deal. I just want to, first of all, give a, you know, you were talking about judging the headlines earlier on the Gators. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> was amazed as a, as a Wire fan myself, the show The Wire, why didn't anybody use Stringer Burke? That was just like jumped out to me and I was like, you know, Whoa. so, you know. Do you, well, you don't ever saw The Wire. 
Wire. There's a character in The Wire named Stringer Bell. For 10 trivia points, what actor plays him? Uh, Idris Elba. Very good. Man, Done. give that guy a something. Uh, yes, I love him. There's uh, mints over that's there in the first time, uh, I, first time I ever saw Idris Elba. I never saw him until, until I saw The Wire. Now he's in every movie everywhere. Anyway, uh, but his name is Stringer Bell, and Stringer Burke would have been a good one. Because uh, Stringer's always using the, the burners. Yes. That's how you got to get through when you're living the, the low-life game. You know, you don't want to get caught by the feds. And as you recall, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds of The Wire, but they get tripped up because someone doesn't use a burner. Remember that? Yeah. They, they, they they get really mad. I remember Stringer, but I told you to. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, anyway, yeah. no, well, That's I'd, probably why uh, Burke was mad. But, you know, if we have all this dirt on the, you know, that's why Solis's wire, I think, is going to be the most important versus the actual cell phone records or the, you know, personal phone records of Burke because Solis, you know, uh, assumedly, has you know real conversations on there and, yeah you know they haven't released any of that stuff yet so uh the Solis he's talking about is uh, danny Solis, 25th ward former 25th ward alderman uh, who was wearing a wire and got burke in trouble in the first place exactly um all right uh speaking of things that'll come out of investigations mm-hmm. I, uh, we will get to the bernie enemy list uh which is a fascinating little uh tactic uh, devised by bernie to i guess turn a negative into a plus mm-hmm. but I'm uh, utterly obsessed in many levels with the ongoing story about Jeffrey Epstein, this uh, hedge fund dude who's worth, I don't know, gazillions of dollars, owns houses all around the world, uh, jets all around the world, and uh, has also for the last at least, I guess, doing this conservatively 25 years, uh, been essentially um, uh, running this track uh, sex trafficking operation for, with younger, uh, with girls uh, that get that get paraded into his mansions. Uh, how he's finally indicted by the feds. He got slapped on the wrist by Acosta, who was the, the labor secretary when Acosta was the um, a federal prosecutor in Florida. They, he got away with murder for all the years. Who do you think? You talk about who's on Danny Solis' tapes. Mm-hmm. Who do you think will be implicated uh, in this ongoing scam? Well, there's a, a running list, of course, of all of these various high-profile, um, wealthy people, powerful people. Bill Clinton, of course, has been on the, you know, they call this plane the Lolita Express, which is an incredibly disturbing moniker for um, this lavish air, airline that uh, Epstein was running. And uh, we know that he was on a plane. You know, Bill Clinton put out this very strange statement afterwards in which he said, you know, I'd only been on the plane four times when, you know, there's reports he was on there were upwards of 20 times. He didn't really deny much of anything in terms of his relationship with Epstein. It was just a, such a strange um, statement. So I don't know what's going to come out of that. There's all these reports, although uh, as well about him, about Epstein having, you know, have these fires at his properties of like taking out phone lines years ago, once he found out he was under investigation, we don't know how much of that is, um, you know, ha- how much the feds already have of that and whether the, this is all going to be new information coming out. But, you know, the list includes people like Woody Allen. The list includes um, David Blaine, the magician, was on a plane with him. Chris Tucker. We don't know uh, which of these people. But, of course, Donald Trump was a longtime friend of his um, and had this really disturbing quote, which I imagine you've read and yeah. maybe your listeners are familiar with, where he talks about, you know, he likes women as beautiful than me, as me and maybe even a little bit younger. Yeah. And it's really sickening when you think about the type of, you know, systematic abuse that was going on under Epstein and the fact that... Um, 
he apparently had these madams that were working for him, his former girlfriends that were helping to traffic these young girls. Um, and, but, and then to think of how brazen it was, too, they found apparently CDs that said, you know, girl under 16, you know, on, on the CD. So he clearly was uh, holding child pornography. And, you know, when we talk about there's all this focus in the, um, you know, the, the bowels of the Internet, especially around the 2016 election of Hillary Clinton being involved in this wide scale, you know, sex trafficking, sex abuse stuff, the whole Pizzagate scandal and all these, you know, globalists are involved in this sick underworld world. Well, here it is right here, you know, and we have seen the, the people that are involved. We don't have, you know, all the proof about what has gone on, but it does look like this is, you know, rich and powerful people completely abusing their station in life um, in order to uh, take advantage of young and innocent people that can't really fight back mm-hmm. in these situations. And, you know, you said he's worth gajillions of dollars. We don't really know yeah, how true. much this guy's worth. Know. You know, he hasn't it's put out point. any uh, financial statements. It's all shrouded in mystery. Apparently, you know, he has this whole townhouse in New York on 71st street that, um, was just given to him by yeah. this guy Wexner, this, you know, uh, guy who's what, ran Victoria's secret. Victoria's and other secret things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that apparently is kind of, cause he was a math teacher. This guy was just a, you know, private school math teacher that got plucked out into high society. Epstein was a math yeah, teacher. Exactly. Yeah. He had sort of a modest upbringing. He doesn't come from wealth himself. Yeah. No. And nobody really knows the true story. I mean, there's this incredible Vicki Ward piece in Vanity Fair. I encourage everybody to read from a, a long time ago that kind of details the ways he got, uh, his wealth. And it still is a, a huge mystery, but there's all types of nefarious elements in it. And he's been, he's faced allegations before that just had to do with financial mismanagement. And as you mentioned, Acosta helped to get him off. And that's the defense that they're using now is mm-hmm. basically saying, look, this is old news. He already, you know, went through this back in Florida and the deal apparently said, you know, he can't be recharged for these crimes. And they didn't even put out the deal to the victim's families until it was about to be signed so that they, you know, the, the, the families couldn't protest against it. So it's a really shows how the wealthy and powerful, uh, you know, they try to protect each other and it takes investigative journalism in this case, the Miami Herald to bring this stuff to light and really force a reckoning with the type of incredible abuses we see among these incredibly rich and powerful white men. And, uh, and and I will just add, uh, there's two uh, instances, uh, where prosecutors behaved, I'll just say strangely in a way uh, that you wouldn't expect prosecutors uh, to behave and it it benefited uh, Epstein. One, you talk about Acosta, who is now uh, the the labor secretary for Donald Trump, which is bizarre in its own right. I'll be talking about that with Jake Lewis in a little while. But uh, that that uh, there was an extraordinary press conference yesterday where Acosta uh, dealt with uh, uh, his behavior. And then the second one had to do with a, a federal prosecutor in New York City. I don't know if you saw this story in 2011 when uh, Epstein's stature or status as a sex offender was under review. I don't know if you saw this. There was a hearing. Was, I, I urge everybody uh, to read this story. Uh, that uh, I'll get into this, the story of the um, the federal prosecutor in New York. Well, I'll just since I'm here now, I'll just say this. Uh, there's a, a review uh, that is required in, in New York uh, for people who've been uh, convicted of sex crimes uh, where they're given a ranking, if you will, about how dangerous they are, how dangerous was their offense. And the federal prosecutor who was not, uh, who worked for Cyrus Vance's office uh, was Ex- exceedingly lenient 
in what she recommended to the judge as to what the ranking uh, he would get, what Epstein would get, which would essentially wipe away any... Um, and is this the sexual predator versus the offender thing? Yes. Thought, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm reading, they had the transcript, and again, thankfully for investigative reporters, somebody went back and got the transcript, and the judge is chiding this investigator, uh, this... Uh, 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 Prosecutor. Prosecutor, yes, thank you. Is chiding or saying, I've never heard anybody advance an argument like this uh, who is a, uh, a prosecutor. That's the weakest, lamest argument I've ever heard. Yeah. You know, uh, and I'm like, in every case, uh, Miles, they're bending over backwards to give this guy a break that nobody else would get. And I, it, it's like, it, it does lead me to say, why? What is motivating these prosecutors to lay down? I'm sure they know that this is, you know, part of how the dominoes fall. And if they, you know, open the um, floodgates on this guy, who knows? I mean, another person I didn't mention before is Alan Greenspan, the the kind of the architect of financial deregulation uh, in America, who has fought, you know, tirelessly to do all kinds of awful, awful things like eliminating the minimum wage, another thing that Trump supports, actually, um, and fighting, you know, for unfettered free trade, all these horrible things. He's, you know, uh, very close with Epstein and apparently also uh, was involved in going to meetings with him at his, as personal residence. This is one of the most powerful people in America. And these people always get protected. I mean, look yeah. at uh, Henry Kissinger, for example, one of the you know most uh, monstrous people in American history in terms of the impact he's had on uh, destroying people's lives around the world. He's never faced a reckoning for his behaviors in that sense. So they know that th this is a crime. It's unspeakable, you know, what uh, Epstein is accused of doing here. So if other people are seen to have been involved in that and mm -hmm. allowing that behavior to continue, they could all uh, face retribution as well. So I think that it's not just about this one guy, but it's about a broader well, system. That, and that leads me to this. I, uh, I'll probably be talking again. I'm uh, promoting a show for it happened tomorrow when Ramana Hussein is on the show. But we, when we, Ramana and I have been following closely uh, the ups and downs of what we call Smollett Gate. And that has to do with Jesse Smollett. I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this on the show, Miles, where uh, Jesse Smollett, of course, the actor who made up a crime or allegedly made up a crime. Uh, first, uh, he was uh, being treated as a victim. The police were investigating the crime. And Kim Fox took a phone call from, uh, who was it, some relative, unnamed relative of Jesse Smollett, uh, asking, uh, it was, uh, this relative was asking that Kim Fox use her uh, influence to get the police to move the investigation to the feds. And uh, she took the call, and uh, as a result, that has triggered a whole scandal, investigations, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I welcome the investigation. I, I really think that uh, investigator, excuse me, uh, prosecutors should not be taking calls from outsiders like this and altering uh, the events of their investigation. But man, compared to what's going on with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. Smollett is nothing. Oh, yeah. Well, compared to so much. I mean, I do think that, that of, co of course, what Smollett is accused of doing like we did is ridiculous and awful and uh, um, you know, a mockery of our justice system in a lot of ways, but the uh, disproportionate amount of focus and media attention on that case is 
uh, wild to me when we see, you know, all the other scandals that Chicago Police Department is involved in, let alone, you know, <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein and the highest, you know, echelons of our, um, the financial elite in our country. They're, you know, engaged in these monstrous crimes that have such larger impact on people's lives. And I mean, obviously what happened with the Wall Street crisis is, you know, millions of people's lives were devastated. These are individual young girls whose yeah. lives were destroyed. I have to believe that a phone calls were made. I, I have to believe, I, and I have no proof of this, Miles. Obviously, I'm not included in uh, the, the inner workings of uh, prosecutors in Florida and New York. But again, uh, this um, lower level prosecutor in New York goes in the court argues uh, vehemently for uh, Jeffrey Epstein to get a lower ranking, if you will. a, uh, a To offender from a, sexual predator, right? For, yeah. Yes. Uh, the judge is astonished by it, overrules her. And now that that, that story is emerging, um, the, the official line is that she was acting on her own. Mm -hmm. That her supervisor didn't know she, uh, the prosecutor, was in court uh, uh, making this bizarre request. I don't believe that in a million years. I don't believe any uh, in a bureaucrat, any bureaucrat in a in an agency like that with a hierarchy that they have would act on her own in a case like that. I have to believe there was political pressure applied to her, and that's what I'm I'm thinking will emerge eventually from this story. Sure, and we, I mean, the the chapter is yet unwritten. We don't know exactly who is going to um, fall as a as a part of this, but it's hard for me to imagine that everybody's going to walk away clean after this. After you know, this has been decades in the making, really, uh, since the first charges were brought, and what after we saw that it, it really strange display by Acosta yesterday in which he didn't resign, but he tried to address the issues at play. I don't, I, th I think this story is going to keep moving on for, for a long time. And he's, you know, he's in prison now. He could, they, they refused him bail. Finally. I mean, his last, the last time he, he was still like chauffeured to work while he was still supposedly under house arrest yeah. uh, as part of his last punishment. So hopefully there's real retribution for these crimes. Yeah. By the way, uh, I, I don't think the final, uh, ruling on bail has been made. He's in jail right now, but I, th I think he's still appealing. Uh, yeah, the still appeal process. The appeal going. process is going on, so he's still fighting to get out on bail, which um, I guess a judge will have to... I doubt any judge at this point would let him out on bail. Uh, all right, let's move on from this story. This story I'm sure we'll be talking about for a long time. Uh, and let's talk about the, the Bernie enemy list. You uh, mentioned <laughs> this to me and you were nice enough to send me the story. Uh, clue folks into what uh, Bernie Sanders is up to here. Well, so we have not really seen this before in a presidential campaign. This is, you know, we're in the uh, summertime. It's not, you know, the primary season is upon us. We just saw the first round of debates. The next ones are coming at the end of this month. Um, but it's still kind of early on, you know, people are getting their footing. I think there's, it's hard to put too much faith in what the polls are saying. Of course, there's trends, especially with early states. But what we've seen is Bernie Sanders, you know, ran last time in a really two person race. You know, there was Lincoln Chafee and, um, O'Malley as well, but Good for remembering that <laughs> you actually remembered yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I remember watching those debates and thinking, what are these guys doing? There was that other guy who was, who was it? Who was bragging about killing somebody on the debate stage? Uh, uh, I don't remember I don't that one. You remember that one, D? Oh, I forget uh, was. O'Malley was the former governor of Maryland. Right? Yeah, that's uh, right. Uh, uh, well, some, one of your listeners will remember yeah. that. Anyway. Frank, who was the other guy? <laughs> Go ahead. Anyway, what's happening this time is 
Bernie's got to set himself apart because everybody's taken on his message, right? So pretty much everybody in the field that's in the upper echelons besides Joe Biden is talking like Bernie Sanders talked in 2016. So that is, you know, a pretty monumental success in terms of how you've impacted the party. In terms of his own personal political standing, he's got to do more, I think, to show that he isn't like every other one of these candidates that you can, you know, do, you got to do something different. And he's been aided in that, I think, by some pretty uh, pernicious people in our society. And these are namely the um, billionaire CEOs of massive companies and uh, from that are involved in Democratic Party fundraising largely that have all said anybody but Bernie. You know, they've they've said they've singled him out and said they will be willing. They can put up with any even Elizabeth Warren, who has many of the same types of proposals they're willing to deal with because they see in Bernie Sanders a real threat to their power and position in um, and status and life and the current contours of how our government and economy operates. And for so what he did to get to the the point here is he put out an anti endorsement list yesterday. And that was basically a list of all of the people who have, uh, you know, talk smack about Bernie publicly and that also are kind of his class enemies, the, the billionaire class, the very people, the ruling class, the people that he singles out in his campaign stump speeches are the same people assailing him for the types of policies he's pushing. So just a couple examples of that. There's the guy uh, who's the Home Depot co-founder, Kenneth Langan. He said this is the Antichrist about Bernie, for example. And this is a guy who's worth almost $4 billion. um, And Home Depot workers, you know, anybody who works at Home Depot knows that wages start at $9 an hour. That's, you know, I mean, obviously it's different where there's higher local minimum wages, but that's that's a starvation wage. You can try to imagine living in 2019 on $9 an hour. A lot of these you know, workers are living on food stamps, on Medicaid, things like that. Meanwhile, he's sitting on $4 billion and he's saying Bernie's the Antichrist yeah. because he knows, you know, what Bernie's calling for. All these redistributive policies are going to take money out of his hands and put him in his workers' hands. Now, so this is this gentleman uh, generally a Democrat or Republican? He is generally a Democrat. And a lot of these guys are, you know, we had um, the, uh, you know, Alan Greenspan, as as I mentioned before, he he cozied up with both Democrats and Republicans. He was, you know, involved in the Bill Clinton administration. Um, but Third Way, which is an organization that has existed for a while, that is a centrist think tank that has been working to push the Democratic Party in a more moderate direction. You know, they've opposed the more left wing proposals, things like Medicare for all, things like. Um, free college, they have said that Bernie Sanders, and they're a Democratic group, you know, they work directly with Democrats, they've called Bernie Sanders an existential threat to the Democratic Party, and they they specifically have said anybody but Bernie. This is, you know, somebody who's running, who is proposing similar policies to other candidates in the race, but he is, what I think is different is that Bernie is saying, you know, targeting these people specifically and saying, you know, he, he wrote a bill called the Stop Bezos Act, remember, that was uh, <laughs> yeah. intended to get uh, Jeff Bezos to raise his employees' standards of living. And in a, as a result of that, I think it's, you know, I don't think it's arguable at this point as a result of him putting forward that pressure on Jeff Bezos. Uh, Amazon announced all of their employees, including Whole Foods employees, would be getting paid $15 an hour. So we've seen the impact of this kind of targeting of individual. He's doing the same thing with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, trying to get him to raise his employees. So it's a real kind of... Um, 
you know, class struggle approach to politics where you're saying, you know, these are the people that are in power right now. These are the enemies, essentially. And this is what FDR did. You know, when he said, I welcome their hatred, Mm -hmm. these are the exact people he was talking about, the big bankers, the Wall Street tycoons, the folks that hold immense amount of power in our society and saying, these are the people we got to take on if we're going to change this, which is the exact opposite of what Joe Biden is saying. You know, you remember he went, he did that private fundraiser in New York and he said, nobody's standard of living is going to have to change to all these wealthy Mm -hmm. bankers. He said, nothing's really going to have to change you know and that's not you know that's just not true we can't achieve the type of progressive policies that even people like biden claim to want to achieve if we let everybody you know keep on going as they're going that's just not going to work and and so uh do you think that the democrats uh, democratic voters uh will how do I put this? When they see that so many wealthy people are so vehemently against Bernie, they'll come to the conclusion, well, he's unelectable, and then they'll turn from Bernie. Well, it's not uh, bankers that are funding his campaign. So that's, I mean, the electability argument, I think it's really, it's interesting. We've, I think the main thing that came out of that debate for me, that first round of debates, was Kamala Harris bringing down Joe Biden and saying, you know, I can take this guy on. And as the polls showed, Afterwards, his electability argument started to falter and people thought, hey, maybe this guy's not as electable as we thought. I think people are as electable as they uh, appear to be. People can imagine them being president. You know, I think that's kind of what happened in 2008 with Obama as well. When he really rose up, he started looking like presidential and sounding presidential. I think people are willing to get behind the person they think best represents uh, their their not just their values, but their interests. So who's going to actually fight for them? I think that's what it comes down to electability. I don't think, you know, having the CEO of Goldman Sachs be upset with you is going to be a liability in a democratic primary. No. And, and, and the interesting thing is that uh, Bernie is wearing it, if you will, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't like me. That's my Bernie imitation. (laughs) Yeah. It's not that good imitation. You got to get Larry David in here. (laughs) Yeah. I know. More like Larry David who does, who who himself does a Bernie Sanders imitation, but he's like, yeah, they don't like me. And I'm proud of that. And that, uh, distinguishing. And you're right. He's, there's 20 people on stage, 10 when he's there and 10 the other night. And, uh, He's got to do something to remind voters that he's different yeah. than everybody else. And so uh, and if you remember, I mentioned this before, he before the 2016 election, when he came here, he thanked Rahm Emanuel for not endorsing him yeah. because, uh, you know, that was famously Rahm had endorsed Hillary, but wouldn't do any events with her because he was still politically talk. That was in the wake of Laquan McDonald. He was too toxic to do any events with her. But he did like put out some statement endorsing Hillary Clinton and Bernie seized on that because he saw, you know, this is not a popular guy. And it's somebody who represents a very different strain of Clintonian politics than what he represented. And I think that was a really savvy move. So I think this is kind of a continuation of that, of defining yourself by the people that oppose your oppose you and your policies. All right. So uh, speaking of Rom, that's a great transition to what's been on my mind for the last couple of days. I told you about this briefly today when we talked on the phone. We talked about it yesterday with, with our various guests. And uh, it's I had this thought when Bill Clinton's name arose in connection to the Jeffrey uh, Epstein scandal another scandal involving Bill Clinton, another sex scandal involving Bill Clinton. Uh, it seems like his judgment, to put it mildly, is really warped. Uh, and uh, I started reading uh, stories, I went back and started reading stories about uh, previous Bill Clinton scandals. 
And I just had this thought, uh, Miles. Now, this again, this is um, there's a big generational difference between us uh, because I, you probably don't have any memories of the 1992 election, but you've studied it, read about it. Whereas I have a very strong memory of it. Do you think uh, that the Democratic Party uh, and uh, and the country as a whole would have been better off? had Bill Clinton never been elected president, had George Bush been reelected in 1992? Well, I think I can see the argument on both ways. I think the way, one way to frame the question differently is just if Bill Clinton had not been president. And I think definitely, yes, if that's the, if that's the question. And, you know, Bill Clinton, he did kind of run the table in the primary, but he had some competition. I mean, Jerry Brown very easily could have been the nominee in 92. And I mean, I, of course, I'm no huge Jerry Brown fan, especially I think he's changed a lot in his politics and approach, but I think he would have been a better, probably a better Democratic president. I don't know if he would have been as strong of a um, candidate in that election, but I think that would have saved us from a lot of the remnants of uh, of, of Clinton's time as president, what we saw is not just the massive policy failures of the Clinton administration, but we also saw through his approach to politics and all this triangulation, mm -hmm. the rise of Newt Gingrich and the rise of the contract for America that's still, and, you know, Grover Norquist kind of, you know, and, and this just pulled the Democratic Party to the right. We just saw the Republicans say, we're going to keep moving farther and farther to the right, farther and farther to the right. And Clinton just kept on meeting them halfway as far as it, uh, it would go. And it just really invigorated this, not just deep partisanship, but the approach that a lot of these Republicans have brought, which is best exemplified, I think, by uh, Mitch McConnell. And, you know, after Obama got elected, he said, we're going to make him a one term president. They knew that they were the Republicans were empowered. And when they came into power in that midterm election after Clinton was elected, uh, the Democrat, what we saw what happened, you know, we got the crime bill, we got a uh, welfare reform, we got uh, NAFTA. Well, NAFTA was very early on, but these are policies that helped to decimate working class in this country and that were champion. These were the big policy uh, wins and victories that, that uh, Bill Clinton was um, bragging about. And we see the legacy of them now. I mean, what is the legacy of the Clinton administration? I would say it's this real ne neoliberal hold over our politics, for lack of a better word, where we try to, you know, empower the uh, financial bastions in the country and, you know, let the banks and markets do whatever they will without any regulation, while also um, claiming to be bipartisan, claiming to have, you know, people on both sides supporting this stuff. I don't think that type of bipartisanship has worked for uh, the working class in this country or even just the Democratic Party's base. So in looking back, how might the Democrats have uh, responded? Uh, the, if you if, if set it up the way you just did, you know, the Republicans are continually demanding that the Democrats move to the right. And Bill Clinton is accommodating them to a certain degree, showing like, sounding very much like Joe Biden does today, that uh, he can work with Republicans and uh, he moves to the right and he adjusts his rhetoric uh, to reflect that. What might have been an alternative strategy uh, to those demands by the Republicans? Well, to hold true to your progressive priorities, if you have them, I just don't think that Bill Clinton really believed in that. I think he would, I think, he, you know, he what he helped to lead the new Democrats and the DLC in this whole centrist turn. I think he... Um, didn't have a problem with agreeing to policies like welfare reform that would devastate poor communities because he thought that he, you know, he was a deal maker. He was, he was doing politics. He thinks of himself as extremely shrewd. I don't, 
I, but of course, I don't think he had to do that. He could have stood firm. You see what's happening in the House right now. I mean, you've talked about it before with the uh, Ocasio-Cortez and these, you know, left-leaning Democrats in the House fighting against Pelosi and saying, you know, we need to stick true to our principles. Mm-hmm. That's what you do when you're in a position of authority and power and you make the uh, opposition compromise with you, you know, and you don't give away the House. Uh, I think we've just seen this time and time again with Rahm Emanuel, with Bill Clinton, even with Joe Biden. When you look at what Joe Biden did during the debt ceiling or the um, grand bargain negotiations when Obama tasked him with making a deal with the Republicans, um, Joe Biden was willing to cut Social Security. He's willing to cut Medicare. He's willing to do all these things, these sacred cows supposedly of the Democratic Party. He was willing to cut uh, to cut them. And so that's not the type of approach I think that most Democratic voters want to see and um, maybe that was the, understandably after years and years of Reaganism and then Bush at, in 92, there was just a, you know, we just need to get a Democrat. Yeah, no, in I remember. And it's it's some way there's some parallels. The spirit is there's some parallels to what's happening. Now we got to get Trump out of the office. And I, I recall uh, we got to get uh, Democratic elected because there have been 12 years of Republicans. Uh, I, I just it's not it's almost not to me. It's. It, to me, I brought it beyond the policies. Yeah. It's not just the triangulation, the moving right constantly, and it's just the personal behavior. Mm-hmm. And and we are now. It, Bill Clinton will be at the center. I predict of this Jeffrey Epstein uh, saga somehow or other he'll be tied to it and the Democratic Party will be tied to that again mm-hmm. uh, and, and have uh, to apologize for it in some cases and I I really hope that they won't because this is a clear issue where there's right and wrong and people need to come down on the side of justice and I agree completely I think that in terms of his uh, legacy as a um, how he conducted himself in that office and just what how, how he's spoken about it personally that woman Miss Lewinsky yeah. he still is not reckoned with this past in any way and I think that that is a horrible legacy for the Democrats to have to hold water for I think that um, there's a different path and that's through embracing actual justice when it comes to uh, accusations of, of crimes like he faced. All right, that's Miles Compton-Latson from In These Times. Miles, thanks so much. Jake Lewis from the Chicago Federation of Labor is on deck. Miles, I didn't even get a chance to ask you about our beloved Bulls. Uh, uh, and Dennis usually says, I'm not allowed to ask we'll, any we'll Bulls questions. We'll do it question. like this, in one word. The Bulls season, how do you think they'll do based on the, free, uh, the off-season moves they've made? In one word. Uh, uh, promising. Promising. Okay, promising. Can I, I got to say that conversation with Cowley you had was made me very depressed. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you listen to the Cow- Joe Cowley. I urge everybody. Dennis was very nice. He allowed me to have the Joe Cowley. Thank you for uh, uh, it an experiment. To, it was an experiment. Joe Cowley, the beat writer for the Bulls, uh, for the Sun-Times, covers the Bulls. Uh, and, man, he covers the Bulls the way I cover Rom. He oh, comes at it hard, he man. Goes hard. He goes hard. And, Miles, where can people find you? Oh, uh, my uh, Twitter handle is at uh, Miles K. Lassen. Um, you can um, follow my work at InTheseTimes.com. And, uh, yeah, just look out for me. I'll be around. And Miles is a regular on the Ben Jarofsky Show. We love having him on. You'll probably and find me at Humble Park hanging out. Yeah, he's the, going back and hanging around later. with Benny the Bull, who's yeah. over at. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what. I, I, give me three uh, words, all right? Grant Park Parade, baby. Oh, all right. Wow. Grant Park Parade. Jake Lewis like, yeah, all right. I can see the Grant Park Parade. All right, take care, Miles. We're going to bring Jake on when we return. Thank you. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. 
food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him. Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) Today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. All right, everybody, your Ben Jarofsky show, hour number two for Thursday, July 11th is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. Very thankful for them. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, July 11th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Jake Lewis is back, and we welcome political operative Ishmael Cuevas. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Jake Lewis is in the studio, political junkie from the Chicago Federation of Labor uh, and also a Bulls fan. So I'll ask you the same question uh, that Dennis uh, asked Miles. If you could sum up the upcoming Bulls uh, season in one word, what would that word be? Just one word? Uh, well, I'll give you three words. I'm easier than Dennis. <laughs> Sweetheart. Um, uh, I would say it's it's intriguing. I'll give it intriguing. Okay. I'm I'm curious about what's going to happen, but uh, my hopes are not particularly high at this point. <laughs> uh, you've, been, you've just been shattered by the last couple of years. Wait, I'll, do, I'll do two words. Go ahead. Eighth seed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll take that. I'll take eighth seed. That means playoffs. But but Ben, I've got I've got some some big news, some concerning news actually, as we sit here right now, just past two o'clock on Thursday. You ready for this? Yeah. Twitter. Uh-huh. That's right. <laughs> Twitter. Twitter <laughs> yeah. is down. 
Oh, whoa! It's oh down. My God. Oh no! I went on the Twitter. I went yeah. on the Twitter on my phone to try and you know you, you got to make sure that that folks know I'm going to be on the Ben Drowski show. Yeah. Tune in, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It wasn't working. Turns out, wasn't just me. Twitter is down. Looks like nationwide, potentially worldwide. Oh right before God. Trump's big social media His rose eye. garden. What do you make of that? I don't know. Interesting timing, though. Wow. Let's get that dramatic music back yeah. going. Very, here interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> it's like uh, in uh, uh, the movie Yesterday, which I've been speaking obsessively about. Uh, Leah's the only person in this room who's seen Have you seen it? I have not, no. Uh, are, do you have any plans to see it? Uh, I may after you say what you're about oh, to say. Well, no, no. I mean, I loved it, but you have to love the Beatles to like it. So if you don't like the Beatles, if you're not into the Beatles, don't go see it. All okay. right. That's just my word. But there's a, there's a scene, remember, with like all the lights of the whole world go out. I'm not going to give anything away. Hey, what hey, happened? Hey. Spoiler alert. But it's like, yeah, uh, it's very Twitter. Wow, Twitter's down, huh? Yeah. Man, it's, you know what's Because I try to put something on there. I brought it down, D. Oh, I, yeah. I there so, you go. Ben Jarowski crashing Twitter. Uh, I've got what, like uh, the phantom limb going here. I just keep reaching for my phone and <laughs> looking for Twitter. Nothing's man. loading. Very dramatic news. Twitter is down. Also dramatic news. Okay. Hold on. Let me uh, refresh just to make sure. Okay. Yep. That alligator's still in the lagoon. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Have we found out who Alligator Bob is? No, really? oh. no. We still don't know what he sounds well, like. Well, there's there's a lot of chatter that I've seen that I've heard. People are saying it. A lot of people are saying it. You know, an alligator shows up in the lagoon in Humboldt Park. All of a sudden, boom! Alligator Bob's on the spot right there. Perfect timing. Alligator Bob did it. Just saying, interesting coincidence. Whoa. Now, now he just <laughs> he he can't, reel, can't reel it in. Now it's three days, four days. He's getting oh, trying billing on the local news. It. it really is Gatorgate. Oh, uh, my goodness. interesting. Do you have an update, Dennis? Oh, man. I'm just, you're, you're blowing my mind here. Two of these updates here. Maybe Gator or Alligator Bob did it, and Twitter's broken down. But we do have updates. <laughs> Former Vice President, now 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden gave a speech today in New York City. He spoke on his plan for leading the Democratic world and his foreign policy. The speech was about 45 minutes. It was just posted online, meaning that I haven't had time to find the uh, appropriate clips here. So what do you say? We get crazy and just randomly play a bit of the speech here. Here's Joe Biden at 12 minutes and three seconds in. Okay. <laughs> source of our renewal of our ingenuity. All right, it's doing that thing where I'm worried only one side of the <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah. It's going on, not stereo, mono, but... Uh, Probably yeah. talking about the gator. He's probably talking about the gator. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll do one more update here. So Joe Biden had a speech. Go look it up online, all right? I tried playing it online for you earlier. All you Don't Biden, look on Twitter. All, all three of you Biden <laughs> fans out there. All right, oh, one more go. update. Uh, as we learned earlier, House Judiciary Committee Democrats have just subpoenaed a dozen more witnesses mm -hmm. involved in the Mueller investigation and Trump's immigration policies. Well, the president is not happy about this. Surprise. And by God, what do you know? He has responded uh, to these subpoenas on Twitter. I thought it's down. But, well, I guess before it went oh, down. Oh, okay. He posted it. it down. Oh, right. A buzzer beater right before it went down here. Unfortunately, uh, well, okay. I don't have Donald Trump's Twitter page pulled up. I guess we're revealing, breaking the fourth wall here. I'm just going to play this sound effect, and let's read Donald Trump's uh, tweet. All right, here we go. Still waiting for those uh, Confederate Railroad and uh, Gatorgate tweets from Donald Trump, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, I'm surprised he hasn't weighed in on that one, absolutely. Now the Democrats have asked to see 12 more people who have already spent hours with Robert Mueller and spent a fortune on lawyers in so doing. 
How many bites of the apple do they get before working on border loopholes in asylum? They also want to interview the highly conflicted and compromised Mueller again, who said he was done after his last nine-minute speech, and then he had nothing more to say outside no collusion, no obstruction report. Enough already. Go back to work. I won unanimously. He said I won? Yeah. You, he did not say I won. Yeah, he said it. Why would I, I even say that? I mean, because it's it. so bizarre. What did you win? I won unanimously? What did you win unanimously? I know I'm trying to... I'm asking you. I'm like an editor. This is again... Jake, I don't know if you ever uh, spent any time as a reporter. Like sometimes you interview people and they would say bizarre things. And I, so I write the story up. I turn it in and an editor would say, what does this person mean? I, well, why are you asking me? I didn't say it. They say it. I'm just quoting the person. Well, it doesn't make sense. Well, it's not my fault. See, I get that on the other side because I get a reporter asking me a question and I'll respond to it and I'll think later, now what did I... What did I mean by that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but that one is so bizarre. I won unanimously. What did you win? I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> your general thoughts about how Donald Trump is responding uh, to, to Mullergate or to the investigation, the Russian investigation, which shows no signs of ending any, uh, you know, do you think this is a successful I mean, tactic on his part? Well, it, it's generally speaking, it's not a good idea to keep bringing up and repeating and highlighting an investigation into your own office that had so many that that revealed so many different cases of obstruction uh, and potentially criminal activity. I mean, generally speaking, you, you want to you know keep your mouth shut when something like that comes out because then potentially you have the opportunity to move past it. Clearly, the president is not interested in doing that. That being said. You know, every time the guy opens his mouth, it feels like this could be the time that he finally turns the public against him. And, and that hasn't happened in, what, three plus years now. So uh, I'm hesitant to think that anything is going to change today, tomorrow, after Mueller testifies, you know, the month after that, the year after that, until we get to November 2020 and potentially uh, get this guy out of there. So, you know, it's at this point, it's probably best to try and, I mean, maybe it's a good thing that Twitter is down because then you can avoid getting locked up in the, you know, whatever he tweeted today, because frankly, it, it probably just isn't going to make too much of a difference. Would you say the public is not going to turn on? You mean his supporters aren't going to turn against him uh, in regards to Mueller? Do you think that the country, it's like a larger portion of the public? Well, he's already very unpopular, uh, with the country at large, obviously there's that, that portion of the Republican party that's locked in. That isn't going to change. That doesn't have any interest in changing. That's going to follow him off a cliff, regardless of what he says. I mean, the, the only real lever of power here rests generally speaking with the, the Republicans in the U S Senate, and they have shown absolutely zero interest in holding this president to account. Mm -hmm. So I don't think anything he says on Twitter. I don't think anything Mueller says when he testifies, I, I I can't imagine really a scenario where some new piece of information comes out that would press Senate Republicans into taking any kind of uh, any action to the level that would be necessary to actually hold this president to account. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, you speak of the Senate, uh, and and that was one of the most intriguing questions. Uh, I think it was the first debate where they asked them, uh, "What would you do about Mitch McConnell?" 
Right. And uh, they they were weak with their answers, I might say, because it's it's really a problem for the Democrats. To put it mildly, uh, McConnell just does not even want to have the pretense of accommodating uh, d- Democrats or working in conjunction with Democrats on all the important issues of the day, be it health care or climate change, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, he, he has made it clear that he won't uh, give a hearing to Supreme Court nominees uh, unless it's a Republican Supreme right. Court nominee. So it's possible, if you think about it, the Senate hold, if the Republicans hold the Senate, he would not uh, bring a Democratic nominee to the floor at all. I mean, that's... Might not. You know. The, 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 there is, I mean, just like there is no uh, depth to which the president seems like will sink in terms of his bombast and absurdity, the same seems to go with Mitch McConnell with respect to what he's willing to do to manipulate uh, and use the rules of the Senate to his own partisan advantage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever, you know, norms or civility or higher ideals that people in this country used to hold or politicians in Washington used to use to uh, try and keep the country functioning in some way seem to very obviously have gone out the window over the last five, 10 years. Uh, and now we're in a position where, you know, I, frankly, there, there, there isn't a ton the president can do to uh, tell Mitch McConnell what to do if he's the Senate majority leader. Mm-hmm. The better question is, why aren't some of these folks running for president? I mean, you look at, say, a better O'Rourke in I mean, Texas. Why aren't they running for Senate? Excuse me. Yes. yes. Why aren't they? Why are some of the folks running for president Absolutely. not running for Senate? I mean, mm-hmm. better O'Rourke, uh, Steve Bullock up in Montana. I mean, there, there are a bunch of these guys who, at this point, it is very clear that they are, I mean, absent a sort of Hail Mary out of nowhere surge that would be predicated on some piece of new information or some moment in some debate that I can't personally think of, um, they're not going to be the president of the United States. And and really, if you truly believe that that this country needs change uh, in the opposite direction that it has gone the last couple of years, then you have to have a Democratic Senate supporting those changes. And as it stands right now, the map is very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, and unless we get some real strong candidates running in some of these purple or even lean red states, uh, you're looking at a majority leader, Mitch McConnell, in 2021, which means it doesn't matter if we have a Democratic president. You're not going to, I mean, let me rephrase that. From a from the, the perspective of somebody trying to pass legislation through Congress yeah. and get it signed by the president, it doesn't matter who the yeah. president's going to be um, because I don't see Mitch McConnell waking up one day and, and all of a sudden having a warm and fuzzy feeling about bipartisanship. It's well, just not going to happen. He, he will have a challenger uh, in 2020. Yeah, I saw that. Amy McGrath will be running against That's him. That's going to be tough, though. I mean, being realistically speaking, the way the the the. Uh, option with the highest probability of succeeding to stop Mitch McConnell from being the Senate majority leader in 2021 is to make sure that Republicans are not in the majority in yeah. 2021. It is not uh, to beat him outright in his own state, although I, I certainly hope that that happens um, and I would love to see it. Uh, we can't put all of our eggs in that basket. Otherwise, we are probably going to be disappointed. And, and I'm going to irritate every single one of my uh, left to center listeners uh, by saying something I say from time to time really irritates the heck out of them. So I'm going to say it right now. Oh, great. <laughs> Here we go. Let's keep these listeners Got to irritate the listeners. Right. Got to irritate the listeners. Uh, you know, and, uh, no, I will not be defending Nancy Pelosi at this moment. No, I will not be saying something nice about Grandpa Joe. I'm going to say something nice about Michael Joseph Madigan. What Madigan does... Uh, when and infuriates people like me, uh, I have to say, but at the same time, I respect him. Uh, 
He'd be the kind of guy that would tell, as a party chieftain, he would tell the Democrats, you're not going to be president, but hey, you'd be a hell of a senator, blah, blah, blah. Do that kind of talking, steer people. Uh, I don't see any kind of leadership remotely resembling that with the the Democrats. Um, I don't see any, they're they're always, there's so many factions within the Democratic Party, various uh, not even just ideological but geographical uh, yeah. generational we're seeing that now a generational split so there's nobody i think with that kind of uh that position that authority that could steer people well there's probably one person i would say the former president of the united states barack obama if uh, he weighed in yeah could potentially have the uh the sway to do something like that but there is basically zero chance that he is going to start telling people to run for this or run well, you don't for even that. tell him you, you gently just suggest it, it. Right. yeah sure, sure and sure. he would have probably been irritated if someone suggested that to him in 27 sure. 2007 but uh sometimes a little you know a but little re- yeah. talk like that would help but short of him i don't i don't think i think you're right i don't think there's anybody out there who has the the gravitas or the standing in the party uh to make that suggestion and be heard seriously heard seriously all right now uh the thing i've wanted to talk to you about i've been waiting to talk to you about all day has to do with uh, labor secretary uh alexander acosta Mm -hmm. when the story first emerged that alexander acosta in his days as a prosecutor in florida uh had essentially uh allowed jeffrey epstein to get away with murder uh, metaphorically speaking uh what what he actually got away with allegedly uh is I mean, you don't need metaphors to talk about it. It's, it's, it's some really awful stuff that's that's being alleged, uh, both in terms of what Mr. Epstein did and also in terms of the way the case was handled. Rape, uh, sex trafficking of minors, and uh, he got away with it. He got the, the lamest, easiest deal that you could possibly imagine. Uh, and the prosecutor who cut the deal with him was Alexander Acosta. And so then I'm just, you know, I don't really pay that much attention to uh, Donald Trump's cabinet. Mm-hmm. I, I Then I'm reading on, he happens to be the labor secretary. So of all the people in the universe who could run the labor department, uh, Donald Trump chose the prosecutor from Florida who, uh, who gave this very favorable uh, deal uh, to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So... Let's just talk a little bit sure. about what the Labor Department does, what the Labor Secretary does, and how uh, Alexander Acosta has performed uh, yeah. in his functions. Yeah, I think, you know, as this story has developed about Epstein and Acosta, um, I, don't, I don't think there are any silver linings or, or positive aspects to it whatsoever. But I do think that one thing that the story has done is exactly what you've described. It's sort of shine a light on, okay, well, wait a minute. What's the Department of Labor? Uh, what does it do? What's going on there? What, how has this person acted there? Um, and I think, you know, when it, when it comes to the Trump administration's approach to labor, uh, working people, labor unions, uh, the Department of Labor sort of fits into kind of this three-pronged effort to undercut workers' rights uh, and to really damage labor unions. So one of them is the Supreme Court uh, with with serious anti-labor justices being appointed to it and then making uh, anti-labor, anti-union decisions, the most famous of which being the Janus decision. So Supreme Court is number one. Um, the second is the Department of Labor, and the Department of Labor deals less so with labor unions 
generally speaking, and more so with rules and regulations around workers and workers' rights. So, for example, uh, the Obama administration had proposed a rule through the Department of Labor to raise the amount of money that a worker would be receiving in order to qualify for overtime pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Obama administration created a rule that would raise that uh that level of income and the Trump administration through the Department of Labor has now cut that rule back down. So uh, fewer people qualify for overtime pay. Um, That's the type of thing that the Department of Labor does in terms of and the impact that it would have on working people. And then the third the third piece is the National Labor Relations Board, Mm -hmm. um, which is a outside of labor union circles and and really labor policy circles, something that isn't really totally understood or, or it starts to get a little bit wonky pretty quickly, but uh, that's a five person panel uh, that makes significant decisions in terms of labor elections, uh, forming a union, um, unfair labor practices uh, and, and that type of thing. And they have had decision after decision that has, uh, undercut labor unions, reduce the power of labor unions, reduce the ability of labor unions to um, to lobby, to advocate for their people. One of the things, and, and this is something that folks might have heard about, is uh, the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, is trying to uh, eliminate the use of uh, most famous of this being Scabby the Rat, so inflatables um, <laughs> as a protest vehicle. Yeah. Um, these are the types of decisions that have been put into place that have systematically undercut workers' rights and tried to gut unions in this country. Um, and, you know, just as a last point on this, it, it's frustrating to see, uh, obviously, there were a number of uh, working people, union members who voted for Trump in 2016. And as we go into the 2020 season, you know, a lot of his bombast and his rhetoric gets top billing. Uh, whatever he tweets, whenever Twitter comes back up, that's going to be at the top of the page. But these, again, they're tough, they're wonky, they're in the weeds, these sort of administrative decisions that are done by these boards with sort of complicated names. These are the things that actually are really aimed at weakening uh, the power of working people and the power of labor unions. They're hugely detrimental. And hopefully, you know, this is part of our job, but hopefully the the union members, working people in this country will understand this attack on workers uh, and do their best to get rid of this guy next year. And so Acosta in particular, has uh, he been, what, uh, any worse than a Republican? Well, so remember, Acosta actually came in as the labor secretary because yeah. uh, the person who was nominated before him, uh, Pudzer, was he stepped back from the confirmation process because of domestic violence charges. So this is somebody who came in afterwards, uh, after that initial pick had been uh, uh, withdrawn. Um, And, you know, it's a lot of the same type of uh, attacks on working people that we saw in previous administrations. Um, But I think one of the things that's frustrating about that is that Trump came in and sort of painted himself, especially in the 2016 campaign, as a friend of working people, a friend of union members. He said union members are going to be great. He made these big, you know, sort of bombastic speeches about the, you remember the carrier plant in Indiana and the GM plant in Ohio and how he's going to bring labor back. And really, he's just put in power a lot of the same type of Republican anti-union administrators that we saw under previous administrations. Uh, So, for example, the NLRB general counsel has been 
strongly, strongly anti-union. He's the guy leading the charge against Scabby the Rat. Um, this is somebody who worked for Reagan when he uh, busted up the air traffic controllers. Yeah. Um, so these are people, the, the people in the administration are folks who have been around for a long time, part of this war on workers and, and war on labor unions. And so, you know, of course, this Epstein situation is absolutely horrific um, and you know, very, very, very concerning to see what happened. And, and it's critically important. We figured out what happened and, and people be held to account. Um, however, hopefully people will say, now, wait a minute, what is that Department of Labor and what has it been doing? And when they look into that, they'll see that it has been anti-union, uh, anti-worker for several years now. Yeah, well, I got to say, uh, I've done a, uh, I, I spent the better part of an hour last night reading about Acosta uh, and just getting an obsession about this case and mm-hmm. his role in it. Uh, and it was curious, the article that I, I stumbled upon that talked about when he was advanced to replace Putzer mm-hmm. as the nominee, uh, there was almost this relief. It's, it's so ironic viewing what's gone down. Um, the, uh, Jake, there's, there was almost this relief. Well, he's better than Putzer. And there's, and then the democratic, uh, the democratic, um, uh, senators who are looking into the background before the confirmation hearing are, are admitting that they really have nothing embarrassing. This is in the New York mm-hmm. times article to, to, to raise against them. And now that's the ir- ironic part in retrospect. He, this is horrendously, yeah. uh, embarrassing. If that's the, the weakest word for it, where he, he was, there's, I, I don't know what to call it when that, that he would, uh, slap this guy in the wrist and let him get away with murder or with rape, excuse right. me. Uh, and, um, and now he's the labor secretary. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole thing is just utterly depressing, terrifying, embarrassing for the country. Uh, you know, just it's horrific to imagine um, and, and horrific to try and wrap your head around what, why these decisions were allegedly made and, and why people wanted to do it, uh, these things. However, now that people are starting to take a look at the labor administration, excuse me, the Department of yeah. Labor, and also the Supreme Court, and also the NLRB, hopefully they'll see some of these decisions that have been made. Uh, before I bring you, Sean, he's sitting here very patiently to come on. Uh, Ed, i got to ask you for an update on some of the legislation, the local legislation we yeah. talked about the last time you were on the show. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the biggest pieces that's coming up uh, probably to the city council in a couple of weeks is this Fair Work Week ordinance. Uh, Ish for sure knows about this one as well, but this is something that we've been working on for a couple of years now, trying to make sure that workers have predictability uh, in their schedules. They see their schedules two hours, excuse me, two weeks uh, in advance. If their schedules change, they're entitled to some predictability pay. You can't be you can't be scheduled for a closing a closing shift right before an opening shift. You have to have space in between. And also, uh, organizations that have part time workers, if they're looking to bring on additional help, they have to offer. Uh, that work to their part-timers to, to give them additional hours before they bring on even more part-timers. So this is something that we've been negotiating on for two plus years now. We've had more than 20 negotiation sessions. I mean, we've compromised significantly to make this something that is workable. Um, looking for this to come up to committee hearing uh, in a couple of weeks and to this full city council towards the end of July here and looking hopefully for a big win for Chicago's workers. And, uh, uh, isn't what about the um, the minimum wage bills uh, in Chicago? Is that minimum that wage also? bill is in progress as well? Yeah, the raise Chicago ordinance. So this is one that would uh, raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars in the city by twenty twenty one. Fifteen dollars is what's going to be the state minimum wage, but not until twenty twenty five. So really, this is something that would bring a lot of relief to Chicago's roughly four hundred thousand minimum wage workers a lot sooner. Something that's desperately needed with the cost of. Uh, healthcare and housing and other things going up so quickly. Um, 
and would also phase out the the sub-minimum tipped wage and would also phase out lower minimum wage for youth workers, uh, workers at the city's sister agencies. So that's like the CTA, mm-hmm. city colleges, et cetera, uh, and workers in transitional programs. So this is something that we've been working on with Alderwoman Sophia King, um, introduced it last month, seeing really good uh good support. I think 37 co-sponsors in the city council. So this thing is off, off and running something I think we'll expect to see in the next couple of months, uh, ideally by this fall. Um, but the provisions of this bill would go into effect. I mean, again, the, the minimum wage just got raised to $13 an hour on July 1st. Uh, so it would go up to 14 July 1st of 2020 and then 15 2021. So there's a little bit of space to make sure that we get this done. Uh, fair work week, I think we'll see coming up in July and then $15 should be right on its tail. All right. And when you say you have 37 aldermen, I had to smile a little bit in the old days when you had 37 aldermen, it didn't really matter if the mayor was against you because those 37 aldermen, man, they would just evaporate overnight. <laughs> oh, where are those aldermen? Oh, they, we had all those aldermen supporting us. And the mayor would say, uh-uh. And then they go, oh, sorry, Jake. And they wouldn't return your phone call. We got to get the gator on board. Yeah, you got to head down to Humboldt Park. (laughs) All right, very good. That's Jake. Get chance the snapper on. Wait, now what's the? Oh yeah, what's the line? Let's get the snapper. Chance the snapper. Yeah, Jason McGrath, uh, pollster to the stars, claims that he uh, he had that first. I'll give him credit. Oh, Jason, I don't know. I will give him credit for it. All right, Jake Lewis, thank you so much. Ish is on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Number six. Oops. <laughs> the Ben Drosky Show was supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. People, it's almost time. Can you feel it in the air? Lincoln Square Summer Party Square Roots Festival is this weekend. Join us for a truly local festival featuring neighborhood food and regional craft beer, as well as unique and exciting market vendors, while over 50 bands and artists from around the world entertain on four stages. It's Square Roots Festival 2019. Your donations support Lincoln Square, Ravenswood Chamber of Commerce's free concerts and farmers markets, and Old Town School of Folk Music's financial aid program and outreach programming. It's this weekend, July 12th, 13th, and 14th, Square Roots Festival at Lincoln Square. See you there. up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel i can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from maya dukmasova and our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed chicagoan welcome back to the ben jarofsky show 
live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ishmael Cuevas in the studio. We call him Ish. Uh, and uh, in the old days, he'd come in as uh, Sue Garza's aide. Remember those good old yeah, days? Yeah, good old days. The good old days, he'd come in as aide. He's still her aide, but he was so good. It, you know, one thing I got to say about Sue Garza, and I, everybody knows I love Sue Garza, she, would, she lets her aides have... Uh, share the limelight. I'd have never seen a politician do that ish. Like, uh, she would say, Hey, I'm bringing ish on. And he would sit down there and. She's a great leader and a great mentor. So yeah, she lets. Really happy for her. Uh, yeah, no, she's. Uh, so anyway, she was on the show last week. She said, yeah, Bring ish on. I said, All right, I'll bring ish on. And he was. Uh, He's a, he's gonna he's gonna report on many fronts for us. You got an update for us? Absolutely, I do. Speaking of the old days, translation, uh, before you got fired. <laughs> One of our favorite things has returned, Ben. One of our favorite oh. things to talk about. It's the 2020 CNN presidential power rankings. Oh, okay. All yeah, right, buddy. Man. This Chris Saliza and Harry Enton, they have put together their new power rankings. Oh, I didn't notice. Uh, what we'll do before we leave here is we'll do uh, the top five. So if you just be thinking of who you think the top five are. Uh, we're going to make Ben uh, and Ish. Ish. Yeah, yeah, both you guys. Make, yeah, okay. You be thinking of who the top five are. And at the end of the program, if he beats me, at the top five, I will buy him lunch at the restaurant of his choice. Oh, wow. All right. No, I'll go down to the 10th ward. We'll go to the 10th we'll ward. ward on the far southeast side of Chicago where Ish works. He's not from there. He's from the 25th ward. I from the southwest side of Chicago. Southwest side. But isn't the ward the 24th? The 20, grew up in the 25th ward or the 12th ward? I grew up in the 18th ward. Oh, eighth, way southwest yeah. side. Dang, Ish, there's man. a long line of people waiting to get their bets, uh, you know, rewarded from Ben Jarosky, yeah, yeah. So. I have a tendency to forget the bet, win like or that. lose. All right, I'm sure if he wins, uh, Ben about that bet. So all right, and uh, two uh, two more updates. One, yes, that alligator is still in the lagoon, <laughs> and. This one here, we, I'd really like to hear Im, uh, Ish's take on it here. It says here, this comes from the Chicago Sun-Times, and one Manny Ramos, it says here, uh, several immigrant rights groups are calling on uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot to issue an executive order that will add a layer of protection from federal raids. This demand follows reports that thousands of undocumented immigrants across the country are at risk of being detained by Immigration and Customs uh, Enforcement beginning Sunday. The threat of raids by ICE has lingered for weeks, but is yet to be executed. Yeah, well, uh, this was on my list of things to talk about with Ish. Uh, I was going to have do soccer first, but because you raised that, I think it's actually more important than soccer, although I would love to talk about the soccer. Let's talk about the raids. Uh, it, Donald Trump, you know Ish, uh, we've he has made uh, Mexican-Americans public enemy number one, essentially. It's ridiculous. Uh, and uh, he's trying to scare uh, his voters into voting for him again by, well, taking people like your family and making them into, like, the enemy. Right, taking our family, not just the family, think about, think, taking entire communities, right, and of the, wants to just abolish us, destroy the family networks that we have. I mean, he's already doing it. Right, and it's just incredible and saddening to see that uh, in my family, my friends' families, and just across the country, that there's this—he's trying—he's wrecking havoc. It's—it's. It's, I, I mean, at night, I, sometimes I think I think about just the heartbreak that people are going through. Right, I was listening to uh, earlier on Democracy Now, um, one of the young girls whose toddler died in the hands of uh, immigration officials mm -hmm. on the border. Right, like what kind of we're in the 21st century and this is happening. It's 
like it's crazy. Well, know? talk a little bit about yourself. Uh, I know you as a Whitney Young kid. You went to Whitney Young, and you just reminded me you graduated the same year as oh boy, uh, Carlos, uh, class of two thousand seven, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, and uh, and I know you were friends with Sue's sons and stuff. So I, you were always just one of these Whitney Young kids. Uh, one of these dolphins. Up. You're one of these dolphins uh, growing up. Uh, my, by the way, you're the second one on the show. Miles, who was the first, uh, the, at one thirty, was also a guest as well. But talk about how your family got to Chicago, how you wound up in Chicago. Yeah, so actually, uh, I was born in Fresno, Zacatecas. Uh, that's where my, my family's from. Um, back in... Where um, is that in, in That's Mexico? about eight hours south of the Laredo, Texas border. Mm-hmm. So uh, eight hours south of the border and eight hours north of Mexico City. Okay. Um, so my my mom and my dad uh, basically, my mom actually carried me in her hands. I was one year old, a newborn, carried me across the river, across the desert, uh, in the California uh, desert, and from there we had a. They stayed there for a couple of months in in Los Angeles, and then from there they had a couple of family members in Chicago. Came to Chicago and just braved through the winters, and now we're all here. How old were you when you got to Chicago? I was one. One year old. So, were you born in the United States? I was born in Mexico. So, you're born in Mexico. Yeah. Are you a, a United States citizen now? That's a question you're not supposed to ask. Yeah, people. I know. I know, but I'm not the census taker. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, yes. And uh, so, uh, when you when you got to Chicago, I mean, what was the transition like? What was you know? Did you uh, speak? Did your family speak English? Yeah. So uh, it's you know, you it's really interesting when people ask that because I um, so even though I was born in Mexico, I I consider myself like. Chicago raised Chicago bread because even people wouldn't tell me, well, how did you get here? Well, I tell people, well, I didn't get here. My mom carried me here, you know? Um, and I think that's a, there's, and you're going to hear that multiple ways, right? People got carried here. People uh, came in with a coyote. Uh, but, uh, no, my family didn't know, uh, my mom didn't speak, uh, English. My dad spoke very little, but I had to basically learn the language, the customs, right? Even to this day, there's, there's things that, that, uh, like in general American culture that I'm not completely aware about. And I think that happens with a lot of first generation immigrants, right? That you kind of have to, you're, as you're acculturating, you're learning these new things. So, and, and, and so like when you're learning Chicago, like how you're learning to get along with uh, different kids. When, by the time you got to Whitney Young, had you been, uh, had you been already having to deal with black kids, white kids, et Yeah, cetera? of course. Yeah. So grow, growing up in the Southwest side, you know, it's a very diverse uh, neighborhood. Um, they're a very diverse community, but I think what makes it different when you go from the Southwest side to a, a school like Whitney Young, uh, I kind of, in some years, I kind of reflect that in it as like an assimilation factory, mm-hmm. uh, where kids from all over the city and where they might be live in segregated communities, once they go to the school there, they're living and basically eight hours a day with kids from across the city, Chicagoans. And so you acculturate into a Chicagoan culture, right? Not a, not necessarily an American culture per se. I think Chicago is something. Yeah. So I think that's what's really amazing about going to school uh, like Whitney Young rather than just like a, a neighborhood school. Nothing against them, but just the, the beauty of it. And so when you were a kid going to Whitney Young, now, so this is roughly, uh, we're heading into the o- Obama years. Um, was was this existential threat from the government as pervasive as it is now, where at any point uh, people would be uh, rounded up, arrested, and sent to detention? Yeah, centers? of course. Actually, back in 2006, uh, we were juniors. Uh, Census Brenner bill, I think. Uh, I can't remember what the bill number was, but it was. Uh, I still remember being really inspired and, and 
a lot of classmates were inspired by the movements that were going around in the United States. And we actually led a, a walkout on May 1st, 2006. Um, all the, I feel like all the Whitney Young kids that you've had were probably on that walkout. <laughs> Every Whitney Young kid who was in that walkout, I think has been on this show. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, so yeah, it was uh, uh, people like Carlos Rosa, people like Myra Macias who worked for Latino Victory. Uh, you know, those folks and a lot of other people that, are, that I can't remember right now, yeah. but who basically talked to Dr. Kenner, uh, the principal there, I think, uh, and just organized like hundreds of kids and just left Whitney Young and joined the largest uh, immigrant rights protest in Chicago history. Uh, so that was a, I think that that was a, a catalyst to a lot of students of that time to become politically aware and, and civically engaged. And, and so what, uh, and now nowadays, fast forward, uh, it, it, it was such a bold stand. I remember that March, it was front page of all the newspapers, filled the streets of Chicago. I think it ended up at Union Park, I wanna say. It started at Union Park. Yeah, it started. And then it left to, uh, uh, Downtown. Yeah, and it just it, it, it seemed it was like a very bo uh, bold time uh, for immigrant rights uh, activists in in Chicago and nationwide. Uh, and now look where we are. Yeah, here we are. It's ten years later. Uh, Donald Trump has said he's going to send the, the the agents in. Do you start rounding people up and deporting them? How do we get here in your mind? How did it seem like we regressed? We can we can go on for hours talking about this, but I I I'd rather focus on how we can how we can be allies to to people in our neighborhood, right? I think using our our whatever privilege that we have, uh, white privilege, male privilege, whatever it is that we have, uh, citizenship privilege, to stand up for those of us who don't have it. I think that's uh, really important. Um, you can look these things up on Twitter or on Instagram on how to be an ally in your community um, because that's going to be. That's going to be a make it or break it for a lot of families. You know, stand up, use your voice, use your body, uh, put it in the line because, you know, these, I can't even imagine that, but it's going to happen um, if, if Trump really says what he's tweeting, you know? If he comes through with it. Yeah, I hope it's just a tweet threat. at this point, you know, but this is crazy. Ish is my guest. We're going to uh, come back. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to switch subjects a little bit and talk about what went down last week in uh, France. He was there. He's our correspondent. We sent him <laughs> over to France and uh, he's going to give Dennis the bill uh, after the show oh, today to pay awesome. for the air awesome. airfare. We'll be right back with Ish. Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. 
Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, it's amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Now this noise you're about to hear, this right here. That's all the money you're going to save when you go to Green Element Resale. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, but I'm not ready to get there yet. That super cool music means the end of another super cool show. We're not done yet. It's just in the studio. And uh, we've been talking about uh, their ICE raids that Donald Trump has been threatening uh, to institute throughout the country. It's going to hit hard here in the city of Chicago. It's going to be a big march uh, Saturday, uh, I believe at noon. There's uh, We've been talking about this yesterday. Uh meeting downtown Chicago. So there's a, a rallies going against this. Come on, we're better than this, people. Our country was founded. There's, everybody's an immigrant, uh, unless you're a Native American uh, in this country. And um, it's just really disheartening to me to see the way that Donald Trump and the Republican Party uh, has demonized Mexican-Americans and well, just uh, Latino people from south of the border in general, but really Mexican Americans, he's right. the hardest at them. He's he's totally vilified the country of Mexico, and I think it's really it. Um, I would love to see America oust Donald Trump, if only for no other reason. It's just to send a message they don't buy it and they're not falling for it. And uh, so anyway, um, this the, the rally will be this Saturday. Uh, let switch things a little thing uh, to a little different topic. You are our uh, our correspondent in France this week, but folks don't know Ish is a big soccer fan. You played in high school, did you not? I did. I yeah, played a little bit. Yeah. Played a little bit of soccer in high school. All right, so uh, talk about what uh, went down. You were at the uh, World Cup in uh, France. Correct? Yeah, I got to uh, actually go to my uh, first women's uh, FIFA World Cup uh, in France. It was pretty awesome. I got to go to uh, the opening game uh, of France. Uh, but most importantly, I got to see the U.S. women's team trash Thailand 13-0. Uh, so it was a good good time. I mean, yeah. Good time. I don't know. Do you think they were good sports the way they responded every time they scored? Like, oh, they're running up a, uh, 13 goals. So I'll give an example. Okay. Uh, uh, I think two years ago in the Copa America, Mexico got trashed like 7-0 against Chile. Uh-huh. And Chile didn't let off the pedal and no one said anything. 
they're like, well, Mexico deserved it. I lost. Oh man, you're you're old school cold guy. Yeah, so, run up a score. You know. Yeah, that, it was that um, uh, men's or women's soccer that that, that was men's soccer. Men's soccer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Same thing when Germany ran the score up against Brazil in Brazil during the Brazil World Cup. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like one of those things, right? Why why give women critique them for doing that and men not as much so. well no i would it, it's either it's either one or uh right. it's sort of like in football where a team will continue to uh, pass they're up like 42 to nothing and they're still passing the ball yeah. as opposed to running the <laughs> ball okay you know what i'm saying they're still blitzing the quarterback yeah. on defense instead of just holding back a little bit you know what i yep. mean they're still going for the jugular uh that's it's uh across the board in sports or the, in basketball where a team is up by 30 points and they're still pressing how about that yes. you know what i mean yeah. it's kind of well, cold you know i think what was really interesting about being at the women's world cup was a seeing french people and just european people and for all the fans that were flying in from all over the, the country you know i thought it was going to be i didn't expect that type of um uh, like there was literally families coming into the stadium, right? Mm -hmm. Family friendly environment. Uh, the stadiums were full. I don't know if you could tell from the TVs or not, but the fa the, the crowds were always engaged, yeah. you know? And I think uh, hearing from people, well, the Women's World Cup, whatever, it's the Women's World Cup, right? But, and I've been to the Men's World Cup. I've been to two. To two. I've been to one in Russia and the one in Brazil. Um, but the excitement is still there, right? So it's good to see uh, women's soccer continue growing yeah and uh, uh so but why don't they pay women as much as they pay men there you go there's an easy question for you right there Man, it, unbelievable the soccer the women's so soccer players are better than the men's soccer players relatively speaking right yeah and, and specifically here with the u.s team think about it the u.s women's soccer team has won the world their world cup champs four times mm-hmm the United States Mexico or the United States uh men's soccer team just lost against Mexico on Sunday Soldier Field for a regional tournament they can't even win that and they're making more than the women's yeah. team it's it's incredible right what, the, what's the irrational for what is the justification for it by the officials you know what the i think there's like a lot of theories going around that there's about revenue generating uh about um i think mo mo mostly like like how much tv uh revenue they get and things like that endorsements but it does it still doesn't make any sense yeah. right like you're playing the same sport. It's the same time, same ball, you know, same stadium, selling out the stadium. Um, I think that Fox, uh, Fox Soccer on Instagram released a picture that showed that this Women's World Cup final had more viewers than the Men's World Cup final last summer, right? So it's, you know, it's simply, it's sexism, yeah. you know, in uh, this male-dominated sport or in the federation right not giving players like hope solo who was a u.s women's goalkeeper um the power the voice to 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 negotiate for equal pay mm -hmm. is is really important but it's it's it also telling about sports in general right in your humble opinion, here's a harder question for you. Let's see how you duck and dodge this one. Why are the women in this country, the national women's team, relatively better than the men's team? Why are the women dominate uh, in their competition and the men, the American men's team, um, doesn't do very well, to put it mildly? So it's actually really easy to... Um, so and because of... Uh, Title IX, right? Women have had the opportunity to play soccer here in the U.S. for a long time, right? Longer than other countries. So 
it, it was the opposite. So the United States had to kind of catch up to other countries in playing men's soccer. Yeah. Uh, where, for example, when they play against Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, these, the culture of soccer is already there, right? And for men's soccer, it wasn't. For women's soccer, once it became like a thing, um, women's soccer in America, they already had the advantage. So when they're playing places like Thailand, where women are playing soccer for the first time in the last, this is their first World Cup, or even against European countries who didn't really take women's soccer, uh, uh, they didn't take it seriously, they didn't have any professional teams, we far outnumbered their professional leagues, um, their uh, semi-professional teams, I mean, college, college women's soccer that not a lot of countries had. So that's exactly why we are crushing teams across the world. So in other words, the, the, the women uh, soccer program in the United States is pretty much starting almost at the same starting point as uh, soccer teams throughout the world. Whereas right. the men's, we're starting way back because the people around the world have been playing soccer forever here in the United States. Uh, we, it's not the number one sport. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've, in soccer in America, we've been playing it for as long as any other sport. It just hasn't ever gained the popularity. Uh, all right, very good. And uh, are we ready for our uh, update? And uh, going to do uh, Leah, right? Yes, sir. All right. What's next up? So Leah, our uh, editor here, she is very awesome, does a great job here on the program. So we figured we'd give her our own segment at the end of the program, and we call it Leah's Last Word. Mm. <laughs> all right. Hello. Hey. Uh, so my shifting back to immigration, I think my question for you is, which Democratic candidate for the 2020 presidential race do you think has detailed the best plan um, that uh, to deal with the uh, crisis at the border? You know what? I think that um, uh, Castro has, when he was talking about decriminalizing uh, border entry, I think is, is a, a, a step in the right direction for candidates to to look at, um, I think that well, first of all, we have to stop looking at immigration like if it's illegal, right? We can't. St- we have to stop using that word. But I think that Castro is gonna, because he's from Texas, will allow and has a better perspective on the on the immigration issue than any other candidate. Uh, so I think that people should, uh, the candidates should listen to that, right? When he's talking about decriminalization of border entry and crossings, because it, it shouldn't be like a, a thing where you're like literally creating concentration camps and detaining people in those places, right? It, it should be just like minor, right? Or allowing people to, to seek uh, refugee in the United States. Think about it, the United States has, uh, how much foreign policy has destabilized um, uh, Latin American, Central American countries that's causing the immigration here, right? So I think the United States has to has to definitely look at that. Got a follow up? No? No, that do you? It? Yes, I have a follow up. Uh, this is, uh, Going back to the debates, how effective, in your humble opinion, is it when candidates for president uh, show off their Spanish uh, and just blurt out uh, sentences uh, in Spanish? So Latinos uh, in by 2020 will be the largest non-white voting bloc. Uh, so they, uh, the candidates have to get the Latino vote in order to win. Uh, whoever it is that that's going to do it better, that's that's we're going to figure that out in the next year or so, right? But for me, I think that using Spanish in our household, I think it, it connects to an extent, but there has to be substantial policy right behind it, right? Like uh, immigration, jobs, uh, 
workforce development, uh, education, right? How do we get more more folks, uh, undocumented students qualifying for federal grants and things like that? I think that it's not just about saying hola or, whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> it is that Beto and yeah. all these guys were saying. It, it, yeah. If you're not talking substantial policy that caters to the Latino population, then whatever little bit of broken Spanish you said is not going to yeah. mean anything. And you speak fluent Spanish, Of course. Yeah. Uh, and so how would you rate their Spanish? Mal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who is the best? Right now? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we've known this from the past. I've always been a Bernie person, so yeah. I'm still going for Bernie. Are you still with Bernie? Yeah. All yeah. Right. But obviously, if things change, you know, it's... Are, we'll see how it happens. Are you uh, so? Are you one of those Bernie Bros uh, who will not? I I know some who will say right now. Um, if it's not Bernie, I'm not voting for. The, well, this is more than 2016. I believe I that's actually, called Bernie or bust. Yeah, Bernie or bust. I don't. I've actually I have not heard a lot of Bernie or bust at this stage. So I'm definitely not a Bernie bro or a Bernie or bust. Bernie I think bust. I'm definitely. We'll we'll see what the what the. What the constituency says. Yeah, and you go, all right, D, you got your uh, uh, right, your power yeah, rankings Let's here? do this. Uh, CNN has made their 2020 power rankings. It's a, a, something that me and Ben love to talk about here. Mm-hmm. This uh, Chris, Saliza, and Harriet, and boy, you boys better be thankful, all right? We talk about you guys all the time on this program. So uh, I have a list of the 10 candidates. What we'll do is we'll go around, everybody pick who they think the top five are, and then we'll find out who the top five are, starting with you, Ben Jarofsky. Go. Wait, well, plop. Hold hey, on, I'm just writing them pal. down. It's a podcast, All pal. All right, hold on. I'm just writing them down. I would say here... Uh, wait, Tom, do I have to have them in order? Yes. Oh, for Christ. I'm Dang already, I'm already tough, done. man. I'm All right, done. Oh, well, all right, well, let, let Ish go All first. All right, Ish, what you got? He's like, I'm done already. <laughs> I got Bernie, Warren, Castro, Harris, Beto. All right. Now, th- I think he. you just... Uh, did you write down what he said? He said Bernie. Yeah, write it down. Warren, Castro, Harris, Beto. Okay. Uh, and here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that what uh, Ish answered was who he personally <laughs> likes. Hey, that's cool. That's what I think he answered. <laughs> now, what I'm going to answer is what's on that list, right. not necessarily what I like. Got it, boy? Got it. Got All right. It. It's not like you were going to buy the meal anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Hey, man, I'm going to take you in. What's that? Um... There's that restaurant on the southeast side. We can go to Pucci's, We're, the Italian restaurant. I'll go hundredth and like commercial. Yeah, I've been to Pucci's with Sue. All yeah. right, take you to Pucci. Po- you're taking me because <laughs> you're going down, boy, right now. All right, here we go. Now that list, I think the that list is Joe Biden is number one. Okay. Um, I believe uh, Bernie Sanders is number two. Okay. I believe Elizabeth Warren, uh, uh, Kamala Harris is three. Elizabeth Warren is four. And Mayor Pete is five. Okay. Leah, what you got? I would guess Biden, okay. Harris, Warren, Bernie, Buttigieg. All right. All right. So here we go. Let me get the drum roll. Make it real dramatic here. All right. We're not playing around today. All right, so remember your five, guys, because I uh, didn't write any of that down. I wrote them down. Just remember those five. I I had to write them. I had to write his. I'm exhausted from this. All right, here we go, people. First off, let's find out number five. Oh, we're going that way. Number five, Mayor Pete. All right, I got that right. Pete Buttigieg. I was right. All right. Time now for number four. Number four. Mr. $27 himself, Bernie ah, Sanders. Oh, okay. All right. Time for number three. Yeah. Number three. Are oh, you feeling that tension there? Yeah. Elizabeth Warren. All right. 
right, let's do number two. Oh, let me get my drum roll again now. Number two. Kamala Harris. Yep. Okay. Leaving number one, Joe Biden. Yep, I was right. Meaning Leah was right. Uh, <laughs> did Leah have... You said Elizabeth Warren, number two. Yeah. Oh. Oh, kid. <laughs> <laughs> man, yeah. I'm keeping track of this, man. But you know what? I'm going to treat both of you to lunch. How about that? Well, I'll pay anyway, all right? First of all, because I appreciate everything you've done for us uh, for the last month or two, Leah. Thank you so and much. second of all, Ish, uh, being such a good friend of the show, always coming on whenever I ask you, and always getting Sue to come on, even more to the point. Uh, so I'll I'll buy the lunch. Huh? D, you come too, all right? Oh, cool. All Sweet. Right, very good. All right, that's an excellent song. Yeah, I'm not surprised there. Uh, Mayor Pete is five, and uh, Bernie Sanders is four. Man. Crazy, right? Yeah. They, they dropped him as four. And see, uh, Bernie's going to have to shake things up, Ish. I think he's just going to have to shake things up. He kind of got lost on stage in that last debate. I was going to say, these debates really seem to mean something here. So who knows what right. can happen in the next one? Yeah, no. Uh, July 30th and 31st uh, in Detroit, in the same format, there'll be ten, two separate debates, 10 candidates on stage, and they're going to weed them out. September, there'll be fewer candidates on the stage. Bernie is going to have to uh, learn Spanish. <laughs> I'm also hoping that they uh, that they go to on uh, the Latino forum that the Latino Victory is uh, trying to organize in November, so they can answer exactly what you and I were talking yeah, about earlier. Yeah, very specific questions uh, about uh, immigration issues, etc. All right, Ish, thank you so much for being uh, on the show. Leah, thank you, doing a great job as you always did. Oh, who else? Jake Lewis, outstanding uh, in the two o'clock hour, and Miles Conflassen, a fellow Dolphin, another graduate of Whitney on. We had a lot. A lot of Whitney Young people on the show today. Miles from In These Times was outstanding as always. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, behind the board, wheeling and dealing. Ish, do you know what they call him? Do you know what his nickname is back in Alton? What is it? They call him White Lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dr. D, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We're now on Spotify. Tell your friends. Yeah, we're current. And, uh, oh, downloaders. You know, we live stream this program, right? Yeah, we do. Tuesday through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Tell your friends about that as well. Find us on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. We'll see you tomorrow.